Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Welcome to Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. Hi, Dad. Uh, hi, Mary. You're what? Mary Dedrick? I, well, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. I <laughs> was going to introduce myself. Okay. Because I have to, but my name's Mary Dedrick. What's your name? My, my name is David Dedrick. He's my dad. That's right. I am. Um, hence the similar last names. Hence the, well, same. Same last name. Oh, I guess they are the same. They Isn't the same. similar and the same the same? No. Or similar meaning they're... I think like... similar implies that there is some difference. Okay. Then the same name. Yes. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. The similar name. That's not a word, but okay. Um, one time, I there was this. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but there was this uh, internet feature that used to be a thing, or okay. it was like a website you could go to, I think, mm-hmm. and it would like automatically take you. You could just like automatically take you to like a random web page. Okay. And it was just, like, a thing that you could do, like, for fun. Roll the dice. And it just, yeah, it just had, like, a bunch of stuff loaded in there. There were, like, different, like, tumblers, like, arts, artsy things. And I remember I was was um, doing that. I can't remember. I, I can't remember what it was. I think. And, uh, and yeah, I was taking it to this one web page, and the whole thing was just, like, it was just, like, a page. It was, like, a, like not even, like, a, it was just, like, a website it was just, like, this one page. Okay. Just, like, this one concept. All right. And it was this guy who was, like this is what I think, and I want you to hear my idea. Okay. Which I think is just a very funny thing to make. <laughs> but his idea was that um, hyphenated last names okay. are silly okay. because they have no foresight, which I think is true. After reading this, I was like, I think that that makes a lot of sense, right? Because, like, say right. you hyphenated our last name when we were born, okay, right? So instead of me being Mary Dedrick, I was Mary Dedrick hyphen Williamson, yeah. right? Then... Say I get married to someone, mm-hmm. um, and then we're like, oh, let's hyphenate. So what, it's going to be Mary Dedrick Williamson and then another hyphen? Yeah. Or you just take the one surname yeah. and make that into a hyphenated one, which just like perpetuates the same, um, the same issue yeah. where you're only using one parent's surname, right? So I go like Mary Dedrick hyphen whatever, um, or... You just, like, scrap that and take the other person's name because it's easier. Yeah. Right? Like, there's not a lot of looking forward. So this person yeah. came up with the idea that everyone should just, like, smush their names together, like, portmanteau style. Okay. So it would be, like, Wilric. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, you'd, like, sure. combine them or, like, dead yeah. in Deadenson. Yeah. Or something. Sure. Like that. And I've always thought that was very fascinating. And he's like, yeah, and then, like, the names would just get, like, more and more convoluted. Yeah, yeah. The more that you, like, combine them, right? <laughs> so, like, four generations down, yeah. the surname is just, like, just a big jumble of, of letters. I think this was satire. I think, I think this was the modest proposal of, uh, of last I names. don't know. He seemed very genuine about so it. So did Jonathan Swift when he wrote his... No, you're right. But I've always... Proposal. This thing, I read it in like 2011. Yeah. Because I remember one of my... The person that I sat beside in my grade 11 writing class yeah. told me about it. And I remember reading it um, on a computer while we were supposed to be writing stuff on a computer for my writing class, my sure. creative writing class. But I was, sure. she like showed me this website. So I was just like randomly... Because I don't think we had a computer at that time. Possibly. I'm not 
I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I found this website and I was so fascinated by this idea. And I still, to this day, maintain that hyphenated last names are silly because they have no foresight. (laughs) Because that person who hyphenates their child's last name is not thinking about what that child is going to do when they get married. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it probably would be better then that if you're going to have a, a child, then you name them one of your last names. I think so. That's probably a better way. I mean, my, for me, I've just said, whoever has the cooler last name, you just take that last name. Yeah, I guess so. Right. But practically that means the death of the Dedrick name because there's every other name in the world is cooler than Dedrick. Not true. Okay. What if someone with the last name Dedrick marries someone with the last name Dick? Well, it's still pretty close. Dead Dick is one of the obvious go-to insult names for... Uh... I never got that. No, I never did either, actually. I think kids are terribly unimaginative, it's it turns true. out. My issue was just that no one can spell it or pronounce it. Yeah. People always say Diedrich, because they don't want to say dead. They want to say dead. That's my theory. I guess so. Because logically, Bed. grammatically, Red. it's a single E. Sure. It should be pronounced softly. There's no other um, vowel to give it a hard E sound. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you, there's no A or E. Also, it's D-E-D. Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah. We're familiar with the bed and red and other yeah, such things. Yeah, you know. Zed. Yeah. Um, Fred. Yeah. So, yeah. Whoever has the cooler last name. Okay. Or mm? we could change our name to Dedrilliamson. Yes. Dedrilliamson. I think that'd be best. That'd be good. I actually have a friend, or not a friend, but someone I used to work with. Okay. And... Glad you made that distinction. Her... Well, we're not really friends, but anyway. Her... Um, parents yeah. got married mm-hmm. and decided that, like, I guess they both had, like, pretty messed up family lives. Okay. And so neither of them wanted to, like, continue on their family names. So mm. they were like, let's just come up with a new name. Really? So they just, like, came up with, like, a brand new name. Yeah. That they just, like, chose. Sure. And then they gave their daughter that name. But then they got divorced, and then they both changed their names back to their pre-marriage names. Okay. So she's the only person who has that last name. Huh. Because neither of her parents have it. Yeah. It's just like a super weird situation. That is kind of odd. It is. You'll have to tell me afterwards what her last name is. I will. Is. It's not like a weird last name. Okay. It's just... It's her name. It's just her name, yeah. Huh. But she's told me that she's never met anyone else with that same last name. But it sounds like a normal last name. I don't know. Hmm. It, it's like, it ends with Ham. It's one of those like... Okay. Ham names, you Birmingham. Know? Birmingham or Bellingham. Yeah. You know, one of those ones. Yeah. Gotcha. But, yeah. Hmm. Yep. Anyway, um, this is not a podcast about names. <laughs> Despite Mary's one-time fascination with names. I still like names quite oh, a bit. Oh, you still name, names quite I'm a bit. I'm actually doing um, an activity at my work in February where um, we're going to find out what the meaning of people's names. Oh, okay. And I'm going to do my best to tell them the meaning of their name before looking it up, if I can. Okay, okay. Anne, your name means grace. Who does? Mine? Anne. Oh, Anne. Oh, I see. Mary, your name means bitter. <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't just mean bitter. It means bitter. There's other meanings. No, it's bitter. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, oh, Helen, yeah. your last or your first name means bright, shining one. Oh, okay. Hmm. Trying to think of other names. How about how about Myrtle? I don't know the meaning of Myrtle. John, yeah. your name means God is gracious. Okay. Huh. Cameron, your yeah. name means crooked nose. <laughs> we don't have a Cameron. <laughs> Thank goodness you wouldn't like that. No, probably not. What about, um, I'm just trying to think of, of old names that you'll have at work. Hmm. So you have Mary. Mary's pretty mm-hmm. old. Pretty yes. And um, Esther. We do have an Esther. I don't know what S. Well, I think it means like rebirth, actually. Okay. Or something. Because I believe it's 
related to Easter. Mm. Or like birth. It might mean birth. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not totally. All right. Work on that, Mary. I will. You're falling apart right in front of me. I know. It's true. I mean, I did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You did pretty good there. But you were choosing names. You already knew the. True. Okay. <laughs> ask me one more. Ask me one more. Okay. One more old person name. Yeah. Doris. I don't know Doris. I know Dorothy. <laughs> Dorothy means God's gift. Okay. Well, you're going to be lost when you have to face this. We don't this. have a Doris. Oh, you have a Doris? I thought you did have a Doris. Oh, no, we do have a Doris. She just uh, doesn't come to activities. How about be very interested in what her name means. We do have a This is a month. Oh, okay. She's going to be very disappointed when you tell her that. That's true. She's not going to come. She doesn't like me. <laughs> we were on an outing the other day, and she told me to be quiet three times. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Dad, you have to edit her name out, though, because, you know. I do? Yeah. Why? Because um, I'm not, you know, I signed oh, a thing. Oh, yeah, I signed an NDA. Okay. People. I'll take it. I'll beep it out. Okay, cool. Beep. It's going to be one of three. What about November? Yeah, November. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's going to be one of, <laughs> she's going to have one of three names. I guess four names. Okay. One August? of four month names. August? Mm-hmm. January? No, not a month name. Uh... January Jones. Um, to the, <laughs> you know, forget, forget about her because it's not a real name. It's not a real name? January's not a real name. But there's a person named January Jones. Yeah, but her name was probably like Janet, and she changed it to January. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not, I'm, I don't know, I'm yeah. just saying. You're just suspicious. I'm just suspicious. It's just not, it's just like... Doesn't make sense. No. No No parent's going to call their child February. No, although I did know a kid named Tuesday. Oh, but that's a name, because it's Tuesday Weld, the actress. Hmm. Yeah, well, because with that, they had a four-year-old, or... Yeah, around, I think he was like four, and they said, oh, okay, we're going to let you name your little sister. Hmm. And he said, I want her to be named Toodles. Really? Yeah. And they were like, well, we're not going to name her Toodles, but we'll name her Tuesday, and then her nickname will be Toodles. <laughs> so they called her Toodles. Huh. That was like what she was called. Yeah. But her birth name was Tuesday. Okay. Do you have to bleep her name out as well? No. Okay. All right, Mare. So we're back for our second episode. Yes. Of you with your uh, mixtape that copies mix songs from my other mixtapes. That is not true. Which I think is pretty uh, cheeky it of you is, to bring in your mixtape full of songs that I've already chosen for other mixtapes. Well, I didn't know that. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that I made this at the same time that you were making those mixtapes. Oh, that's possible. So we're drawing from the same well. It's likely the same shallow that, well that I drew. It's my. likely that um, I made this before you made some of these mixtapes realistically that's possible it is possible all right Mary. so this is yeah this is the second week of my mixtape what's your mixtape called laundromancer very good name thank you because i you know I, I was doing laundry a lot you can listen to the last one you hear me talk about all the laundry that i was doing at, at this workplace that i worked at yeah um you signed an nda there as well you can't talk about your laundry i can't talk about practices. the laundry it's true i um i did actually trademark my f- way of folding fitted sheets really mm-hmm I wish you could tell me how you do it. I, I'm terrible at folding fitted sheets. It's not that... I've watched on YouTube. I've watched like tutorials I, on YouTube. I don't really like the way that people do it on YouTube. Well, they usually like pick a corner and then they fold it all into that corner. I yeah. don't like that. I don't even get it. By the time I get to the third corner, I'm like, I'm lost. No, I know. It doesn't work very well. I try to just... Well, I had a folding table there. Oh, okay. Which works very well. When I grow up, yeah, I'm going to have a folding table. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you this. I'm not grown up. <laughs> okay. Be quiet. Um... <laughs> When I'm growing up, Dad, I am going to have a folding table in my laundry room. All right. Currently, I do not have a laundry room. Uh Our laundry is in our hallway that leads to our bathroom. Hmm. It's beside where our shoes live. Bit narrow for a table. Yes. I can't even fit a drying rack there. We have to put it in the living slash dining room. 
Oh. I mean, the living's, yeah, living slush. At least that encourages you to... uh, Put it away? Put it away, yeah. (sighs) Does it? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it doesn't. (laughs) Well, it encourages me to put the clothes away, but then the the drying rack tends to stay out for a while. Yeah, yeah. It gets used, though. You dry rags and stuff on there. Yeah, of course. Sure, I know. What are you looking at? Chickens. Oh, chickens are... I was just imitating them. They're doing that head up thing. Yeah. (laughs) You can't see me, but they're funny. They're funny chickens. Okay, so let's start. Sure. Should we play the first song? Sure, why not? Should we stop talking about names and chickens sure. <laughs> sure. and other things? I think our audience has reached the end of their rope. That's now they're fine. ready for music. That's all right. You're not really here for music, you guys. You know that. They're you're not here, here for, for music? Dad. No, they're here for you. No, no, no. They're here for music, dear. Okay. All right. Okay, so um, the first song on my, the second, okay, and I also want to say, that this whole second side of my mix thing yeah. is a concept that has been foisted <laughs> upon this playlist. Yes. Because that is not how I design playlists. Because I did not grow up listening to... I mean, I did grow up listening to records. Yeah. But not exclusively. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I grew up listening to records and um, tapes and CDs and um, eventually music on my phone. Yeah. Right? So... Or on my iPod, which I think I got an iPod when I was in grade nine. Okay. Uh, I had one of those little iPod shuffles. No, yeah. Nano. Okay. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> no anyway. Mar- we're not mark- We're not going to mark anyone on this. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, I just have, like, a different concept of musical layout on a piece of music mm. okay. holding device than you do. Well, I mean, that's fine to have a different idea of it. I just think that people have to learn to acknowledge that the record, for whatever reason, is the best the best uh, way of organizing your songs. Right. Like, to think in terms of a record. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it is. I just think that... Do you think that because you grew up with it? No, I don't. I think that because... Well, I think that because I grew up with it, but also I think that because I've experienced people trying to resist it. Right. You know, uh, we've talked about the fact that in the 1990s, it was considered old hat to design your CD as if it was a record. And so uh, producers started like stacking the best songs at the beginning of, of right. the, the CDs and then kind of letting it trail off. And the problem with that is that it's boring. Like if yeah. everything that's good on the album is in the first, you know, like four or five songs, first four or five songs, and then you just kind of have like a slow slowly like dredge into death like that's not yeah that's not very interesting you're not going to listen to the whole mix yeah or the whole album whereas if you have songs like better songs sort of spaced out mm -hmm. you can appreciate the songs that don't grab you right away as much right because you listen to them more yeah that's right yeah it's it works it works in two ways one is it yeah it kind of kills your interest in the other songs because there's it becomes monotonous as well because Mm -hmm. you know like most of the songs that you think are going to be singles are going to be the peppier songs. Yeah. And so the peppier songs kind of crowd the front of the album and then it's a lot of ballads and stuff on the, on the, mm-hmm. on the back end of that. And this is not a, a good way to plan, plan something for people to listen to. Like, so for me, when I'm thinking of, in terms of like mixtapes, I am thinking, even if I'm doing CDRs, which obviously don't have sides, I would still think in terms of side A and side B. Right. Because then you get like a natural, uh, climax twice mm. you know so it creates some interest because you have a peak and then you have a and then you you kind of descend down from that and you know for whatever reason so usually you know as we've kind of seen so far i like to do like a kind of long song as a as a side ender yeah 
and then pick it up with a peppy song on the other side of that. Right. And then head on the other side. And I always like to put on like a song that I might like, but I almost feel like is just for me that I'm putting it on there for. And I, and I kind of expect that it's not going to be that popular with the people who are getting the mixtape. And I hope they'll like it, but if they don't, it doesn't kill me because I feel like um, lots of, there's lots of albums where there's a couple of iffy or okay songs in like near that part, either near the end of side A or near the end of side B, where you kind of let the you kind of let it let it die down a little bit, and then you pick it back up again. Hmm. Because really, if it's all fast or if it's all great, it actually gets kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because there's no variety there. So sometimes you need to mix it up with something that's kind of weird or unpleasant. Just to kind of create like a sense of weird or unpleasant, or just like slower, slower, or just like a different sort of genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah, no, totally. And you know, and you know, often when I do that, I just kind of think to myself, well, no one's going to like this. <laughs> it's and or because it's it's kind of stacked against it because part of the problem is, of course, is you judge songs by the one you uh, the one you just heard. So if you know if it's like good song, good song, good song, then kind of weird song. Well, the weird song suffers because. The person's like, oh, that last song was really great. Mm. And I'm listening to this song and it's it's really weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really liking it very much. That's why I think you can't really judge like a, an album or a mixtape or anything you listen to the first time around. Right. Because there's things you're going to like a lot, but they're going to like cast the other stuff in, in, a, in a bad light. Oh, totally. And you need to like hear it a couple of times in order to appreciate those other things. Because sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more work or they're just not going to hit you on the first listen mm-hmm. because you're still locked into that last song you heard. Right. And that's that's a common thing, so the, you know that's kind of how I approach it. I know that you did it a little differently, and so like I feel like the last song on this mix is like a weirdly placed song because it almost feels like you're just ending it by not ending it. You're just right. like it's because like, I'm not ending it. I know, but in the yeah. middle of it, it just feels like you just shut the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just ends and it's just like okay, I'm, bye everyone, and then you close the door, and I was like, well, I thought we were still having a party. Well, no, because you are still having a party, and that's why it goes on to this next song. Well, no, I know, but I'm talking about the last song on this, like on this side. That were the oh, side this, that we're doing, yeah. Oh, like oh, I feel okay. like the whole mix ends with a weird song. Oh well, I'll talk about that too. Okay. So there, there is a reason for that. Like this song, like the song we're gonna play is a nice peppy song. I mean, this is the side opener, and I, yeah. I, I use this song too in one of my mixtapes, and I, I probably use it in the same way that you mm-hmm. did. I probably I mean, a side opener. I think that this next artist, yeah, we do often use as either a side opener or a side closer, yeah, because her songs are just so like large and beautiful yeah it's you can't really have her song anywhere other than like an opener or a closer yeah because it feels like she outshines every other song which i think for me is also how i feel about sufjane stevens okay so like for me it was hard to have a it's hard for me to have a sufjane stevens song in a mix yeah because i love him so much yeah that it like totally pulls me out of the mix if i have him yeah i'm like that with the beatles i have a hard time putting beatles into songs yeah because you love them so much that they just like outshine everything else yeah it overwhelms it all yeah Yeah. so like once you when you get there it's like they can't it feels like they can't fit into the mix because when they when you get to it you're like oh my god it's the song and when it ends you're like oh my god and you just like can't get over it yeah yeah right so i think that is another reason that i had the henny buggy band in there sure which is it's an okay song it's i like it a lot but but it is an outtake yeah like it's a it's not a well-known song right like i wouldn't it's not a showstopper like all the people no it's not chicago it's not 
like any song from Carrie Lowell. It's not John, my beloved. It's not a song that like after it ends, you're like grasping your heart and like lying on the ground, like, Oh my God, I need to process what I just went through. Like it's fun and it's good, but it is also, it's an outtake, right? It's an outtake. It didn't fit on, um, on come on and feel the Illinois. It went onto the avalanche and it's like a pretty like, you know, it's, I think it's one of the better songs from the avalanche, but it's not like, he he doesn't highlight it yeah. within the album, yeah. right? Um, For sure. But like, I couldn't have an I couldn't have a song of his on there that is a highlight of his because it would just destroy the mix for me, right? But having it as a a side ender feels like a good play. So I think I think that there is maybe some like sort of natural um, thing for that of me of putting in uh, mm-hmm. Judy Sill and Sophia Stevens as like side opener, side closers. Okay. Because of how I'm seeing you make mixes too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's talk about this first song of the side. Okay, I'm so let's, in quotation marks. let's play it then. How about we okay. play it first, and then we'll we'll talk about it when we come out the other side. So what song is this? Dear? So this is "I'm Over" mm-hmm. by Judy Sill. Yeah, from the album "Dreams Come True," which was released in 2005. All right, everyone. So let's give this uh, this song a listen. This is a this is a very good song. So it is. We'll listen to it, and then we'll come back. Let's hear it.
So that was I'm Over by Judy Sill. Mm. So we've talked about Judy Sill quite a bit. I think we've had two. We had the donor. Yep. We haven't had Jesus Was a Crossmaker yet, have we? I don't think I I I put, we just had the donor twice. I don't think I put that on a mix for really? some whatever reason. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's such a good song. I know it is a good song, but I kind of, I don't know. Sometimes I I want to like highlight the kind of more, the less lesser known things. Dad, you're talking about Judy Sill. I know, I know. <laughs> but I feel like that song, if anyone's going to know Judy Sill, they're no, going to know that song. It's true. It's true. I think... And the donor is one of my all-time favorite songs. I just love that song so much. I know um, Griffin McElroy of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Yeah. He does a podcast with his wife called Wonderful, um, where they talk about things that they love. Yeah. And it's like every every time, every, I think it's a weekly podcast, and every week they bring, each each person brings two things that they want to talk about, and one of Griffin's for one episode was Judy Sill. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he played Jesus Was a Crossmaker. Yeah, that's the natural go-to song. It is, because it's so... It was I a mean, single. It's a single yeah, on and the I album, think, and that's... Yeah. Like the Beatles and like like your love for the Beatles and my love for Sufjan, yeah, it does kind of feel like a song that's hard to put into a mix because it's so like oh yeah, and I think yeah. that singles are often like that too. Like sure. it's hard to have a it's hard to fit a single into a into a mix when they're often very big. But anyway, um, so yeah, we've talked about Judy Sill a bit. We talked about her. I've talked about her, and Dad's talked about her for the donor. So I'm yeah. not going to get into her life too much. Um, but this album's pretty interesting. Yes, it is. So um, it was recorded in 1974. So it was recorded after the end of her relationship with David Geffen and Asylum Records. Yeah. Um, so after her album came out in 1973. Heart Food. Yeah, after Heart Food came out in 1973. Um, and it didn't do well. And there was just like a big fracturing between her and Geffen and Asylum. Um, she went her own way and just continued writing songs and... Um, and recording them. So the song was recorded at Mike Nesmith's studio, mm-hmm. um, and was just sort of just sort of sat yeah. for a really long time. Like she had all these songs that she recorded, um, that did or, or yeah that she wrote and recorded, and they never went anywhere until in 2005, um, or before 2005, um, they were sort of put together into Dreams Come True. I see. So side one of it was. Um, all these songs that she'd written after breaking off from David Geffen. Yeah. Um, and then side two is more sort of like rougher songs. So it's like, uh, rarities, home recordings, lost songs. Um, but this song in particular was mixed and produced by Jim O'Rourke. Okay. Who produced, um, A Ghost is Born. Yep. Yeah, pro- produced Stereo Lab. He produced Stereo Lab, yeah, but that one is Dad's favorite Wilco album. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, um, and he, uh, yeah, I, I was looking him up. I didn't, I had heard his name, but I wasn't sure who he was. But he mm-hmm. was born like around the same time that her albums were, her first albums were coming out. Okay, right, like he never knew her. Yeah, but he obviously has a lot of respect for her because I mean he was just a kid when she died too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a quote of his talking about mixing and producing this song um or this this album or these songs so he said i never thought to try and equal those earlier recordings except in spirit how she seemed to like the color of her instruments i wanted the music to stand on its own and to be nothing um and to be about nothing other than itself and the moment of soloing up judy's vocal track was frankly eerie Hmm. a serious thing not to be taken lightly yeah so yeah and it, it is a beautiful song very beautiful and um, it's very sad that it didn't get 
Released. It wasn't heard yeah. in her lifetime, right? It was yeah. it was released like what 30, 40 years after she she died in seventy nine. So. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah re- released forty years after she. I don't think quite that many, but maybe twenty five years. Twenty five years after years, yeah. she released, or after no, thirty years after she wrote it. Yeah, and okay, yeah, like yeah, twenty five yeah. years after she died. Yeah, and it's the song's so beautiful. It's wonderful. I love the. I don't know who does it because I, I you, you did the notes this time, but mm-hmm. I don't. I love the uh, acoustic guitar playing in it. I love that. Oh yeah, that busy. And I've heard. I was reading something somewhere else, and and someone had told the guitar player that he was too busy and that he'd overwhelmed the song with his guitar with the with the bit he'd added to the song. But I actually love it a lot. I love I love acoustic guitar like that. I, I um we listened to a song a little while ago by um by a band called the. Oh, I can't remember their name now. Anyway, they I was going to put a different song on by them, but then I changed my mind and I put on this other song that had like this really strong acoustic guitar part to it because I liked it so much that I preferred it to their kind of more famous and probably, you know, a song that people would have liked more because it's like a more well-known song and was, was a it, single um, and stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a couple different like uh, electric guitar. Was it Art Johnson who did the guitar? I don't know who it was. Yeah, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, Judy Sill did play some. Cause I don't think it was electric guitar. I think it was an acoustic part. I mean, oh, it might have been. It might have been an acoustic or electric guitar. Just played. Okay, because Judy little... Sill played the acoustic guitar for that. Yeah, I don't think that. So I... yeah, Judy Sill played acoustic guitar, piano. She arranged. She did vocals, backing vocals, voices, mm-hmm. clavinet, farfisa organ, vocal arrangement, and also paintings and sketches for the, which they had on as the um, album yeah. cover and on yeah, the, in the liner notes. It's quite a nice. Uh, uh, production it would probably be even better to put it out nowadays when they could put it out as a as a record because it's a very beautiful package right but what's nice about it as well is it also has some footage of her playing live yes that someone videotaped uh, of her playing and that's um a friend a friend of hers her i get i think it was her husband who was a jazz trumpeter who had to quit playing jazz trumpet because of an accident to his upper lip he uh started playing guitar and, and recording like as a singer songwriter and she recorded some some the, his wife recorded uh some judy's solo appearances at ucla and things so so yeah it's quite quite nice to see that as well this cause she's playing for a a crowd of fans and people are singing along with her it's pretty nice yeah it's very nice very beautiful you can f- watch them on youtube if you want to see them they're available there now that's good yeah it was um yeah film footage from 1973 mm-hmm. it said um there's something else I was going to say, and I totally forgot. That's okay. I forgot the name of the band I was talking about, so that's mm. that's fine. I was going to say the Trade Winds, but I don't think it was the Trade Winds. It was a different band. Oh, okay. And they had a... It doesn't matter, though. But there's also that song uh, by the Unit 4 Plus 1. I think if I will. I think we played that one, where it has... To me, it sounds like acoustic guitar, but once again, it could be like an electric guitar just played with very little... Right. With very little... Uh, you know, with no distortion or anything, so you just got a real clean sound. Oh, okay. Because it is really hard to play that kind of clean sound. Like, if you listen mm-hmm. to the part in I'm Over that the person's playing, it's, like, really clean, like, well done. Oh, what nice I was going to say was um, this song is, it feels a lot peppier than the music that she was putting out when she was working with Geffen and Asylum. Yeah. Which I yeah. wonder, because it was saying on Wikipedia, like, these songs were more lighthearted, or, like, all these songs, which I can attest to only i'm over but i think all these songs are more lighthearted, which is interesting in light of her like commercial lack of success yeah right but i was like well maybe she was 
excited to no longer be attached to these difficult people that she was working with. Yeah. Right? Yeah, David Geffen is a well-known a-hole. Yeah, he's a real jerk. So, yeah, I think there would have been a lot of pressure on on her. And, you know, obviously she wasn't someone as as emotionally strong as Joni Mitchell, for instance. Right. Who could put up with that kind of garbage Mm -hmm. from all the guys and seem to thrive in situations where, you know, where she's like, you know, like, for instance, performing on the Rolling Thunder Reviews Tour, mm-hmm. you know, like, just sort of showing up and playing and then just deciding to stick out, stick along and just kind of right. pegged along and did a bunch of rest of the tour. You know, obviously, she thrived in, in that kind of challenging situation. I don't know if Judy Sill would have done as well in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, where yeah, she's just different personalities. surrounded by men who all are all competing with each other every night yeah. on stage yeah, to show who's the best. Joni Mitchell and... had like a bunch of brothers, grew up in like the military. Yeah. Um, was like fell into like rough crowds in high school and was like used to hanging out with lots of like rough guys. Mm-hmm. Um like yeah, she were they were just in totally they had different lives, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Judy Sill had a brother, but he he died when she was a teenager. Yeah, and like a lot of her and formative was... years were spent with only girls, right? And yeah. like reform school and stuff where it was just only women. Yeah. So yeah. I imagine that for her dealing with men was pretty just it was just a different experience, sure. right? Something she didn't have as much um yeah. experience with. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, that's a big part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a music tends to bring out yeah, either you're like I've said before, either you're a quaint, quiet, eccentric introvert, mm-hmm. or you're a you're a, a big old jerk. You're a big old extrovert who just wants to a big old jerk, says Dad. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I, there's uh, a certain. You definitely said that about Crosby and Stills and Nash and Young. Yeah, those guys are jerks. <laughs> but I mean, because they're all they're all create creative people and they want to get their voice out there. Yeah, you know, and so they're like striving and struggling to do that, and you know, the only way to do that. And be successful is to be a jerk. Yeah. Like, let's face it. You're dealing with like a industry of jerks mm-hmm. who are who well, want I mean, to like with, exploit you and steal everything you do. Yeah. I mean, especially with those guys um, who a lot of them grew up in like wealthy families and went to these like boys' schools yeah. and played rugby and. Well, that's definitely David Crosby and Stephen yeah. Stills. Yeah. Stills went to military military right military school. academy. David Crosby went to private school because his father yeah. was his family was was had fairly well off. So yeah, those. Those, you know, those guys grew grew up in a situation where it was just like eat or be eaten, mm-hmm. and of course, so they brought that to to groups. Yeah, it's a strange like, but then you know you have sensitive people like Gene Clark who who didn't grow up in in a who did grow up in a big family, so you'd think he would have been used to like the rough and tumble, but right. he's just way too sensitive to to mm-hmm. a, a jo- enjoy it. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't what he wanted from life. Yeah, he just sought he sought something different. Right. And I imagine Judy Sill was the same. Yeah. And unfortunately for Judy Sill. You know her out oh, her outlook on life, or however life and her family situation and stuff. The way that was she was brought up was that her her reaction was to to go into uh, a cocoon. Yeah, you know, and that drugs gave her that, mm-hmm. and so drugs was like her obviously what killed her in the end was drugs, and yeah, this is too bad. Mm-hmm. It is, but well, we had her. It was great. It's true was and that was a good song yes all right let's talk about the next song sure so this is this guy's this guy's yes not the skies which i've <laughs> okay but this guy's in love with you by yep. bj thomas mm-hmm. from his 1969 album raindrops keep falling on my head all right so let's give a listen to this song another great song i think yeah 
see this guy This guy's in love with you Yes, I'm I can tell we know each other very well. How can I show you? I'm glad I got to know your cause. I've heard some talk. They say. That was This Guy's in Love With You yeah. by Billy Joe Thomas. Billy Joe Thomas, okay. Uh, from his 1969 album, Raindrops Keep Falling On My Head. So, yeah. um... Uh, interesting album. Interesting album. For sure. Yes. Just partly because it's partly produced by Burt Bacharach and Hell David, mm-hmm. who wrote well, these songs. But anyway, I... you go on. You go hey, on, dude. Hey, Sorry. I'm sipping get, on your notes again. Get, get out of here. <laughs> Scram. Okay, so uh, Thomas, B.J. Thomas, um, started out singing pretty young. So he started out singing in church choir. 
And when he okay. was in high school, he joined a band called The Triumphs. Okay. Which um, later recorded a cover version of Hank Williams' song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. It's a good version. Of um, it. And that was, I think, I believe credited as BJ Thomas and The Triumphs. Okay. But I believe it is now just credited as BJ Thomas, which... yeah. I don't know about that. I believe the triumphs (laughs) were a part of it as well, but you know, who knows? Um, So that's, that song sold over a million copies. So it went gold. Wow. Um, That same year he released his first solo solo album. Um, In 1968, he got his second gold record with his version of the song Hooked on a Feeling. Okay. Um, And then in 1969, he released the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Okay. Which also went gold. Yes. Three, three gold records <laughs> in the span of three years. That's good. Or four years. Yeah. Three years. 66, 68, 69. He was a real comet. Yes, he was. A shooting star. Um, and that, that song, his version of it also won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Huh? Because it was featured in... I could tell you, but... Uh, um, it's a movie... No, I Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's true. I didn't write it down, ah, but I. But I'll remember that. It's such a such a <laughs> no, memorable memorable to. name. It was just it was just so many words. Yeah. I was like, it's fine. I'll remember it. Um, <laughs> but this song yeah. was yeah, it was written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. That's true. And it was originally recorded by Herb Alpert. This song, this guy's in love with you. Oh yeah, sorry, this yes. guy's in love with you. Not, Not raindrops, raindrops keep falling on my head. head. Sorry, let me, I, just, let me just say something whoop, whoop, interesting about what? raindrops keep falling on my head, okay. which is that the album version. Not on, what we're talking about, but okay. The album version on raindrops keep falling on my head is different than the version in the movie. Yes. When he recorded the movie version, his voice was he had a had had a bad cold and had laryngitis. Yeah. So, so it's that, a lot rougher. That version is very weak. He's very weak voiced in that one, and it's a bit of a different arrangement. So they redid it when they when they recorded "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head." Mm-hmm. Of course, being a nut, I have both the record and I have both records. I have both rec. Uh, well, both of course, because of it. it's the rough voiced one that won the Academy Award. That's right. That's um, right. but yeah. So sorry. Back to this. So this guy. But if you get like a greatest hits of, it won't have the they won't have the uh, the rough the soundtrack voiced? version. It will have the uh, this album version on it. Well, right. Well, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um. So, oh yeah, so This Guy's In Love With You mm-hmm. was a song that was on the album Raindrops Keep Falling On My Head. Yep. Um, and This Guy's In Love With You was written by Burt Backrack and Hal David. Yes. And originally recorded by Herb Alpert. That's right, the trumpet player. So uh, it's a, yeah, it's a cover. Um, so apparently Alpert used to regularly ask songwriters if they had any old compositions lying around that they had never used that he could use. Okay. It was like a thing he would do. Yeah. Like when he was like in the office of a composer, he'd be like, hey, you got anything that's just hanging out and I could take it? So he was um, <laughs> hanging with Burt Bacharach, I guess, at his office. Burt Bacharach was signed A&M Records as well. So. Okay. And he was like, hey, Burt, yeah. do you have any, you know, songs that I could have? And... Backrack was like, let me look around, and he found this one. So he so he gave Alpert the lyrics and the score sheet. Okay. And Alpert um, did a version of it, which is okay, but I actually much prefer this version. And many, 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 many people have done covers of this song. Another good cover is by Dusty Springfield. Oh, this, this girl's in love with you. That's good. So very nice. That's good. Yeah, they're. But I still prefer the Thomas version. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, I think it's a very good version of the song. I I don't think that... I mean, I like Burt Backrack and Hell David. Yeah. I think they're, they're good songwriters. Yes. I don't think I've heard the Herb Alpert one. I don't Probably not. really have much interest in hearing it realistically. <laughs> um, 
Well, I kind of feel like this is a, this is my own personal theory. This is not based on anything I've ever read, so okay. take this with a grain of salt. But I feel like the weird trumpet solo in this song is kind of a parody of Herb Alpert. Oh, really? And his version, oh, because his voice is pretty weak. Herb it's, Alpert. Yeah, so he okay. sings. This guy's in love with you with a pretty weak voice. Right. But it has a good trumpet solo. Right. So this song has a strong voice singing the song mm-hmm. and a really weak trumpet solo. Oh, interesting. So I feel like it's an it's an inversion of, of the, the, right. the, the uh, Herb Alpert song. I don't know if that was intentional or if I'm just reading into it, yeah. but it, it's a weird, it's just a little weird thing. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I'd have to put, his version is not as good as, uh, as uh, Dusty Springfield's either. Herb Alpert's. But it was the big hit just because he was the right. first one to release it. Yeah. And everyone else did covers of it. Yeah. So, because f- mm-hmm. for instance, yeah, on this album, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, it's just one song, but it is produced by Hell David and, and Burt Bacharach on the album as well. Um, There's like three songs on it that are produced by, by Bacharach David, and then the rest of the album is produced by someone else. Right. But I, Raindrops it's got, Keep like, Falling on My Head is Bacharach and yep, that's right. David. Yeah. And I believe Hooked on a Feeling was also... No? No, I don't think so. I thought it was. No, I don't think so. Okay. Sorry. I, that's all right. I could be wrong, but I, I'm going to say no. Okay. But I will I will say that the version of Hooked on a Feeling that you probably know is not the B.J. Thomas version. It's the later one, the yeah. uh, Uka Chukka one? Yeah, that one is different. I can't remember who did that. Um, yeah. Hooked on a Feeling. Do, 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 do. Yeah. That's a different version. And I can't remember who's by Blue something. Blue. Blue Suede. Blue. No, no. Blue no, Swede. Blue Swede. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> Blue. Swede. Blue Swede Shoes. Oh, it was written by Mark James. And produced by Chips Moman. Chips Moman, who produced the letter for the box tops. Mm, we right, which we talked about last time. That's right. Yes. Um. So, who? Wait, who was the? Who was it? Who? Who was the singer for the box tops again? Alex Chilton. Alex Chilton. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, B.J. Thomas was was similarly a, uh, you know, big star mm-hmm. from a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't think he was, he wasn't as young sure. as Alex Chilton. So Alex Chilton was 16 yeah. when he sang that song, which is crazy. And I'm pretty sure BJ Thomas was 24 when, um, when I'm so lonesome, I could cry came out. I did, sure. I did some math. So I don't know why his career faltered. Uh, BJ Thomas? Yeah. I don't know. He did like a good, he did an album after oh, this one. Oh, he did get into drugs uh, and then Christianity. Well, the, both of them are like a drug. They are. Yeah, they're both, they're definitely both, um, both, uh, addictive, both creativity killers for <gasps> musicians, Mary, for musicians. What about Sufjan? Yeah, but he didn't like get into it. I see. He he's grew like, up, he grew been, up in it. Yeah. He's like been into it his whole life. Right. Yeah. And I mean like Burt Bacharach, you know, grew up in the church. He was in church choir, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the artists that BJ we have. Thomas. Oh, sorry. BJ Thomas. Yeah. yeah. But he went born again after he, after yeah. his drug experiences. Yeah. He went like extreme born again mm-hmm. and became like a gospel singer. Yeah. Which is not, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a songwriter. Yeah. Right. Like he was singing other people's songs, which is fine, yeah, yeah. which is totally fine. But yeah, when you become all consumed with something like being born again, you mm. don't have a space for fame and yeah, and I think and... I think actually when you say that, that's part of it actually because there was like at the in the early seventies you had like your singer songwriter movement. You know, you had your Cat Stevens and your Randy Newmans and your Joni yeah. Mitchells and your David Ackles mm-hmm. and uh, you could just Jody Sill and all. Mm-hmm. You could just name lots of people if you Big want star. to sit down and they weren't really singer songwriters because singer songwriters are solo people who oh, like okay. you know Gordon Lightfoot and people like right, that right, right, right. who you know Gordon Lightfoot started um, off as a folk musician but was able Paul to Simon? Paul Simon's another example who started off as a folk musician but was able to to kind of like trans Send. transmute themselves oh. into a singer songwriter in the right. early seventies by 
by you know changing what how they mm-hmm. you know changing the music they're doing and stuff like that so Bob, leaving folk you see Bob behind. Dylan? Bob Dylan would be another example of mm-hmm. someone who started as a folky and yeah their their music became less uh, political or even like surreal, mm-hmm. non-topical as Bob Dylan's was in the in the mid sixties, right? And became more personal mm-hmm. in the early seventies, and that you know that's just part of that kind of change into the singer songwriter mode, yeah. And someone like B J Thomas, who was a song interpreter but didn't write his own music, he's kind of left out in the cold because yeah. now the thing is everyone wants a James Taylor or a Carol mm-hmm. King, something like that, who's giving you their personal feelings, yeah into in their music you know well yeah i mean even like i mean i i i'm sure you agree with me on this but i feel like no the, i disagree entirely the beatles were like a big shift from glad um, you said shift what i'm glad you said shift i didn't know where you're going with it but okay oh from <laughs> from like people who had music written for them yes. to people who were writing their oh, or for music sure. right because yeah, i mean like sure. if you look at music historically yeah like not even i'm not even talking like elvis but like people like before that, just yeah. like the history of ben music. Ben Crosby, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, just like the history of music. People, Most people were playing music that other people wrote. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like when the Beatles came along and were like, we're going to write and play our own music, people were probably like, why? <laughs> like there's all, there's like we've got songwriters for that. Like we yeah. have people That's true. who we hire and we pay to do that. Like, you know, you get in with a, um, you get signed to a label yeah. and they have people who will write your songs for you. Well, and actually, they'll produce George, George them. Martin and... wanted the Beatles to cover a song as their first song. Yeah. A song called How Do You Do. Sure, of course, because and, that's what you do. And they were like, but we really want to play our own song. And yeah. they like, played Love Me Do for him. And he's he's probably thinking like, well, this song is nowhere near as good as yeah. how, you know. He's like, who wrote it? And they're like, we did. He's like, who are you? How do you do? <laughs> that song was like, how do you do what you do to me? Do, right. do, do. Yeah. It's a very pop song. Mm-hmm. Whereas Love Me Do is pretty basic you know love love me too you mm-hmm. know that. so it's... i know that song it's on my um it's on my exercise playlist okay <laughs> i have a spotify playlist that i do um oh, that's good. i use for my group exercises that that's i play in my retirement it's kind home. of peppy but slowish exactly yeah, yes that's nice. so i've got uh some early beatles abba okay First ABBA song that came up on there, I said, it's ABBA. One lady said, I know. I've seen them in concert three times. Oh, that's great. I was that's like, great. love it. I know three things about this woman. Yeah. She has seen ABBA in concert three times. Okay. She goes to every casino outing. She smokes like a chimney. <laughs> no, four things. She's always 15 minutes late for exercise, which is a 30-minute class. Because she's smoking before she comes. Yeah. Gotta get my smoke in. She's an eccentric woman. I love her. Because <laughs> most of the people there are like... This music is okay, but I prefer gospel music. Okay. Because it's, it's like a Christian, it's a faith-based organization. Okay, okay. So most of the people who live there are Christian. You know, mm. there's chapel every Wednesday. Most of the people who live there are like, my daughter or whoever comes and picks me up on Sunday and we go to this church. Yeah. We were driving through Abbotsford the other day and every person was like, that's the church I go to. Oh, that's the church I go to. Oh, there's mine. I was like, why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you should just yeah bring, play the Dixie Cups for them going to the chapel. No, I play early Beatles. <laughs> okay. I've got some the Birds on there. Okay. I've got ABBA. Yeah. I've got some Bubblegum Pop, which I'm very into. <laughs> Love it. I believe I have one two three year old red light. That's a good one. Simon says. Oh, these are good. All songs, all game songs. Sorry. They're all games. Simon yeah, says. And, exactly. And one two three red light. Um, I have some the some of the association on there. Oh. I have Western Union. Okay. You know, Western, Western Union. Union. We played it on here. I believe I played it on my... No. I, I you played, played it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very early um, on. 
you know. That's a song I was very excited to get onto a mix. Yeah. Well, because the other thing about this Spotify playlist, that is not the one that we're talking about right now, but the yeah. one that I use at work. Sure. Um, the previous activities person was like, yeah, you want to play like older music for them because they're old people. And I was like, makes sense. And she was like, so I play a lot of 80s stuff. I was like, why? <laughs> these people were all, these people are all 90 to 100. In the 80s, they were already like in their 60s, their 70s. Yeah. You know, like they're not, they're not listening to the radio. They're also all yeah like stodgy they're all listening to talk radio yeah exactly they're all not cbc because it's too political yeah yeah um <laughs> oh but well they like ckw because it's the right kind of political yes exactly yeah um yeah <laughs> and i mean right i was <laughs> i was at lunch with someone the other day and this one woman this uh one couple's daughter came and the the dad was telling his daughter how she should watch more Fox News. Okay. And I was like, oof. I was like, I try to keep politics out of the meals. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. So, shift from people having music written to them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that being another reason why BJ Thomas was, like, left behind. Mm-hmm. For sure. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think I think... Much like most things in life, it wasn't just the one factor. Yeah. It was a, it was... Like, I'm sure that he could have bounced back from any of those. Yeah. Right? Like, if it was just... If he hadn't burned his bridges. Yeah. Like, if it was just, like, um, be, not being, like, a singer and songwriter. Yeah. Right? Like, there's people who survived that. If he, if it wasn't just, like, the drug thing. If it wasn't just the Christian... Like, the born-again-ness. Well, maybe that could have left him behind. But, you know, like, <laughs> it's just... All of that together, yeah, yeah, I think, kind of worked against him. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So, so let's. I'm glad we talked this through. Me too. Um, so I like that song a lot. Oh, I love that song. It's so good. I used to put I used to put this dad's in love with you when I sang it to you guys. It's <laughs> cute. Um, question. Yes. Do you think that song is better than Raindrops Are Falling on My Head? I guess I no, I don't. Okay. I really like Raindrops Are Falling There's on My Head. Both such it's good so, songs. It's so mad. It's such a crazy song. <laughs> Because if you listen, if the lyrics like it's the lyrics are so weird. I know, and it's weird that it was like in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and it's yeah, because it's like a, it's just a weird thing. It's like a modern pop song in this old-fashioned movie, and it occurs to the scene where, where isn't there like a shootout or he's like running? No, it's no, a car chase. It's not. A, no, it's no. a car chase because this is before cars. This oh, right. is old, It's a Sorry. western, but no, it's where uh, Robert Red, Redford's character, the Sundance Kid, it's, or maybe it's Paul Newman. It's been a while since I saw the film, but one of them is riding around on a bicycle with his girlfriend, and who's a teacher in the film. And they're riding, they're riding around, and that song is playing. It's just part of like a uh, a fun montage, but it's just such a weird song where it's just like you know this guy with feet are too big and all that. You know, it's just like what? Yeah. What? That's great though. <laughs> There's another yeah. song that they I mean, wrote for for him for B.J. Thomas on, on on an X album that he did mm-hmm. called "Everybody's Out of Town." Oh yeah. Which is also a weird song. Is it? It has like a trombone playing in it, <laughs> which is like a weird instrument to have in a in a pop yeah, song anyway. It's as weird as a saxophone. And then it kind of exploits his his uh. Because he does have a little bit of a hoarse voice, as if he was losing his voice anyway, right. even when he's singing normally. And it's just, yeah, it's got like banjo and uh, and trombone. It's just a very weirdly or, or, uh, orchestrated song, arranged song. But but it's, uh, I think it's very good. But I don't think that was a hit for him. And I think that was probably start of the decline. All right, Mara. So let's move on from uh, song number two to song number three. What do we have here? Song number three yep. is Weed Party by Band of Horses okay. from their 2006 album, which has a great title, Everything All the Time. All right. 
Uh, which good. is also how I feel sometimes, especially <laughs> when I'm in school and it's the end of semester and you're like everything all the time. Yeah. That's how I felt a few weeks ago during the coloring. Yes, I imagine. And then you're like, I have, I do a million podcasts for some reason also, and I have a job <laughs> and family. Yeah. And for some reason, I'm still in the church choir. Silly. Okay. Let's, uh, let's listen to the song. Can't let down choir. Weed Party by Band of Forces. Here we go. by Band of Horses from the 2006 album Everything All the Time. That's a great song. It is. It's really a very a good, good song. song. I like it a lot. And other things I've heard by them, it feels atypical. Like they seem to like songs that are a little slower. Right. And more ballady. Okay, yeah. Where I prefer this sort of chiming Birdsian song. Right. So are you talking about other songs from this album or like later albums? Yeah. Both? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is um this is a 
this this album is kind of is sort of atypical of the band. Okay. I guess, which in kind of like a funny way, which I'll talk about. Um, so the band formed in Seattle. Okay. In 2004, by a guy named Ben Bridwell. Mm. So he had been in a band called Carissa's Weird. Weird spelled W-I-E-R-D. So normally, normal spelling. No. W-I-E-R-D. Yeah. W. I before E, except after oh, E, and yeah, in so it's words sp- it's like wrong. weird. I'm sorry, yeah, you're right. And in weird words like weird. So yeah, we- weird. I don't know why <laughs> they spelled it like that, but whatever. They didn't know how to spell weird. Well, I guess not. Um, Either do I, apparently. No judgments. Well, just when it's being spelled out to you. <laughs> um, so that band broke up, Kay. and he decided to start a new band. He was joined by Matt Brooke. He's who- not a native satellite, right? He no, he's not. There. He's from North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so he, or South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Um, so he was joined by Matt Brooke, who was in Chris's Weird with him. I see. And um, yeah, so Ben started this, or Bridwell started this new band. And he, at that point, he just named it Horses. Okay. And the name change later. Um, I think I like Band of Horses better. Yeah, I think Band of Horses is better. I think Horses is a little, uh, I don't know, kind of weird. It's just like, it's not specific. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it's kind of, there's a band called Fools. F O A L S. Okay, yeah. yes. And I feel like that kind of runs the same thing, where it's just sort of strangely unevocative mm, yeah. of anything at all. Which right. is okay. I'm, I kind of like that in a way, but it's just, uh, it gives you no clue what the band is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas Band of Horses, it feels like you're going for something there. Yeah. You get like, it evokes a, an idea. Right, yes. Whereas, yeah, totally. Um. So, yeah, so they were joined by two other guys who they knew who played music um and yeah they were pretty popular in seattle they gained some attention opening for iron and wine in seattle Mm -hmm. Um, we've played iron and wine on this show have we yep okay yeah uh and that got them signed to sub pop sub pop records yep which is we we've talked about a few times they're seattle very of great label really i mean they're a label that lots of people would like to be signed to just because of their history but yeah they seem to have pretty good taste they do or at least they have a similar taste as we do no, no, no. That's not how it works, Mary. They have good taste. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Everything All the Time was their first studio album. Yeah. Um, and it had five, new versions of five of the six songs from their EP. Okay. It was called Tour EP, so they were just selling that at tours and stuff. Um, but Weed Party was an original song written for the album. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was like five... Of the songs on the album were from their tour EP, but we were just like re-recordings of them. I see. Two of the songs were written by um by Matt Brooke. I, okay. And then this one was written by Bridwell. I see. Um, uh, but after they released this album, um, all three other band members left the band, including Matt Brooke. Yeah. Wow. Why? Uh, Brooke said that it felt like it wasn't his project. I see. Like, he felt like it was Bridwell's project, and after Chris's weird broke up, he just kind of followed him. Yeah. But he wanted to, like, do his own stuff. I see. So he's moved on to doing, like, his own solo work. Okay, good for him. And I think that the other guys, um, well, Bridwell has said that, like, he didn't really know them. Mm. They just, like, were other musicians that... Okay. Like, just kind of, they he started working with because they were other musicians and yeah. they were available, but they didn't really have, like, much of a connection. Sure. So, they just felt like they weren't really, like, meshing as a band, yeah. so they left. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, totally. So. Which uh, is it's still weird to me, but okay. No, I, I agree. Because I feel like if you're in something that's successful. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you want to just, like, 
You stick with it. Even stick with though, it, yeah. Yeah, totally. But, but I guess creative types are creative types. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Bridwell moved to South Carolina after this because he was like, there's nothing keeping him in Seattle. Chris is weird. The fall- scene, yeah, the scene's over. Yeah, Chris is weird. It fallen, has fallen apart. And the Sloan has like, pointed out Seattle's like a uncreative city with no real like. Oh yeah. History of bands. Totally. Get out of there. Get out of there. Yeah. Which prompted someone in the crowd to try to fight Chris Murphy after the gig, <laughs> to which Chris Murphy said, "What?" <laughs> then pointed to security and said, "Get him out of here." <laughs> Chris Murphy's not gonna deign to fight you, dude. <laughs> You're some rando. Come on. <laughs> Drunken rando. Yeah. Um, I drank away my sense of humor. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, Bridwell moved to South Carolina and found some new band members. Okay. who We're still currently with the band. Good. I'm glad so, that he, he made a... Yeah. Got a, a team together. Yeah, exactly. So, even though, like, that is kind of like, oh, that's weird. But the people that he's working with now, most of them have been with the band for, like, 13, 14 years. Wow. So, that's good. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So the the album it it did okay here. It was a hit in Scandinavia. Wow. Which I don't know why. I guess it kind of they love weed parties. It not this song in particular. This is the whole album, which I guess it kind of fits the. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about what's popular in Scandinavia. <laughs> I feel like I was gonna say stuff about it, but I was like, I don't know. I have no idea why. Well, let's see. Our one experience of Scandinavia is Midsummer. <clears throat> What about, isn't... And so, I think this movie appeals to people living in a weird cult. Mm, yes. Isn't summary. ABBA from Scandinavia? ABBA is from Scandinavia. So, that's two things we know about. Wait, wait. Isn't the girl with the dragon tattoo also from Scandinavia? That is from Scandinavia. We know three things about Scandinavia. Okay. So, sodomy. Mm. Singing. Uh-huh. Phonetic singing. Pop singing. Phonetic pop singing. Mm-hmm. And... Cults. Uh, death cults. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's a pretty well-rounded view. It is. View. Also, I think we know everything. Volvos. Oh, yeah. Volvos. Volvos for there. Yeah. Really good cars. Yes. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That's all you need to know about a country, I that think. That is. For, yep. for, for a significant thing. Yes. Yep. yep. And the problem is, is we're mostly talking about Sweden. Oh, yeah. We're leaving out. True. I think Norway. I think Midsommar takes place in Norway. Yeah. So, I or feel like Scandinavia we're really short, really short, really short selling some one yeah. of those countries. Yeah. Eh, whatever. It's all the same. Just kidding. Oh, no, wait. Wait. Oh, my God. Dad, we forgot the biggest thing. What? Vikings. Oh, Vikings. How did right. we forget about Vikings? Although, to be know. fair, I think everything that we've described does fit Vikings. Yeah, that's right. Volvos. <laughs> well, no, not Volvos, but the other stuff. Death cults. Death cults. Sodomy. Yes. Singing. <laughs> Phonetic singing. Yeah. Okay. Um. So this album. We, we love you, Scandinavia. We do. I don't know if we have any Scandinavian listeners. No. But... Well, I think we do. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yes. Yeah, based nice. on based on what? Based on the fact that they write to me sometimes. Oh, nice. Well, did they listen to this show though? I don't know. Okay. Well, I hope you listen. If you're from Scandinavia, <laughs> I hope you listen so you can hear us. So you can hear making, us making destroy your culture, <laughs> which we've limited to five things. <laughs> but come on, you know, you probably only know five things about Canada: igloos, maple syrup, uh huh, beavers, mm-hmm. Justin uh, Trudeau, and Justin Bieber. I don't think he's indicative of Canada. We know that. We know but that I guess that's... neither are Volvos. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, mm, that's not very fair. But then I was like, well, okay, let's not talk about fair based on what we just said about Scandinavia. Um, okay. So this album had one big hit single. Oh, really? Which has been featured in approximately a million pieces of media. Really? You would know it if you heard it. Okay. It was... Um, 
It was. It's been in like a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV shows. It's been in a bunch of trailers. Okay. Uh, they actually played it on the Late Show with David Letterman. Huh. But at that point, everyone else had left the band. I see. So it was just Bridwell and then some temporary replacements who were doing the album tour with him. Oh, I see. So those people just came on as like super temporary replacements. Yeah, they had yeah. no interest in like being a part of it. They mm. were just like essentially session musicians. It's hired guns. Hired guns, yeah. Um, but yeah, this song was in the trailer for 127 Hours, which prompted me yesterday to watch the trailer for 127 Hours. Oh, the hours. song Cut Off Your Arm. Yep, that one. Spoilers! <laughs> Spoilers for that movie that came out in 2007. <laughs> Jeez. Nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, God. The movie that put James Franco on the map. Did it? I think so. Okay. Who? No one knew who James Franco was before 127 Hours, I don't think. I, I don't know. I knew who he was, but I guess... From what? Pineapple Express. Oh, Okay, no, you're right. Pineapple Express. That was it. <laughs> Never mind. Forget it. Freaks and Geeks. But maybe yeah. it was the one that was like Spider-Man. Do... How about the Spider-Man movies? No, maybe <laughs> maybe 127 Hours was the yeah. one that was like he can do serious stuff. Yeah, people said oh, he's this, not just this like a big jokester. He's not a one-trick pony. He's not. Yeah, he can't. He's Speaking not just a band of horses. He's not just in the weed movie. Yeah. He's not just one of those the weed movie guys. Yeah. A la yeah. Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill. Yeah. Et cetera. Those weed movie guys. Those weed movie guys. Yeah. Um, oh, the song was called The Funeral. Oh, okay. Sorry. So. I know that song. I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you heard it, every, I'm not just talking to dad, I'm talking to everyone listening. If you heard it, you would recognize it. Yeah. Because it has been in Even everything. people from Scandinavia. Especially people from Scandinavia, I believe. <laughs> based on the <laughs> fact that it was a minor hit there. Oh, okay. Based on the fact that they already have a proclivity towards Band of Horses. Yes, exactly. Or at least this album. But I believe because um, the people, other than Bridwell, the people playing on this album yeah. were totally different from the people who played on the album later. Yeah. I think it is probably a little bit different from his later, mm -hmm. th the, or the later albums yeah. for Band yeah. of Horses. Sure. I mean, Bridwell wrote all, all, the, all but two of the songs. He sang on all of them. Yeah. But I do think that the other people in a band have an impact on oh, for sure. the how it is, stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And... Um, there was a drummer from Carissa's Weird who came in and played on a couple songs as well. Okay. For it, so. So sorry, I just want to. Is it Chris is Weird? No, sorry, it's uh, C A R I S S A apostrophe S. Carissa's. So as in weird. Carissa is weird. Yeah. Carissa, Carissa is weird. Yeah. Weird spelled wrong. Okay. It's kind of a weird band name. Yeah, it's not very good. No. It probably explains why they didn't go very far. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. One of those sort of uh, intangible things that affect a band. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. I think, do you have anything to say about um, Weed Party, Father? No. I've never been to a Weed Party. Okay. Do you? Did you like the song? I do like the song a lot. Have you heard it before? We will hear it again in another mix. Oh, okay. So you had heard it before. Oh, yeah. You heard it through me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, okay. So the next song uh -huh. is probably a band you've never heard of before. Oh, um, I'm just joking. It's the birds. <laughs> it's who it. This song is set you free this time. So this is the the band led by Ron Wood yep. from the 1960s from England. Yep, that okay. one. No, this is the birds with a Y. Oh, okay. From America. Yes, we've talked about them, but mm. we haven't talked about them. Yeah, we haven't played it. We haven't played any songs. By we them. have played a song by them, but Will we you? have not talked about them. We played um, their version of "It's All Over Now, Baby Blue." 
oh, in your that's top right. five oh, yeah. baby blue covers. That's a very good, very good cover. But we have not talked about them in the traditional sense yeah. when we say we've talked about them on the show. We've talked around them a lot. Sure. Dad has often brought them up to ta- tell us how much he knows about the birds. <laughs> that's the only reason I do it. To be like... I read Johnny Rogan's book about the birds. That's like a hundred million pages long. Yes, rah, exactly. Rah, rah. That's what he says every time he talks about the birds. <laughs> rah, rah, rah. Rah, rah, rah. Um, so this song is Set You Free This Time this by the birds yeah. from their 1965 album Turn, Turn, Turn. Okay. Let's hear the song. Let's hear it. The first thing that I heard you say when you were standing there set in your way was that you were not blind. You were sure to make a fool of me cause there was nothing there that you could see that could go beyond your mind. Now who's standing at the door Remembering the days before And asking Please be kind It isn't how it was set up to be But I've set you free this time I have never been so far out in front That I could ever ask for what I want And have it Anytime Knowing this you found a thought for me That told you just where I should be And there I stood behind With all the ones that were before And memories that always seemed to tear me From my mind In front of what it is you see me to be I've set you free this time I could never find a chance to choose Between a way to win or a thing to lose Because there was your stand On top of all of the love you took That was only something you could look at lying in your hand Now who's wondering what has changed And why it cannot be arranged To have each thing work fine It isn't how it was set up to be But I've set you free this time That was Set You Free This Time. I love that song. It's a really good song. Yep. Um, Gene Clark was a genius. Yeah. Yeah, he was very good. He's he a very was, good songwriter. He's the bestest. So, I... I uh, hence my hence my um, my ill feelings towards David Crosby, because I feel like he tormented Gene oh, Clark. Oh, yeah, poor Clark. And so, uh, even though I like David Crosby's uh, singing and music a lot... You're like, get out of here, jerk. I'm like, you're, you're a, a jerk, bully. jerk. <laughs> Big bully. Um, you made Gene Clark stop playing the guitar, because you'd make fun of his guitar playing. Oh, do you know why he made fun of his guitar playing? Why? Because he wanted to play guitar. Ugh. Such Gene a... Clark's 
guitar playing was just fine. Such a bully move. But he insisted that Gene Clark didn't couldn't stay like couldn't keep uh, to the to the beat. Right. That he would lag and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Gene Clark got all nervous and so, and stopped playing it. That's l- such a bully move. Yeah. It's a typical jerk move. Yeah. Um. That's how I brought you guys up. It's true. Be uh, like, you're not walking properly. You can't walk. Yeah, and that's why I don't walk anymore. <laughs> Uh, so i do want to say that when i looked up the birds and looked at their wikipedia page which is where i always start my research for these bands because it's you know it's the place to start yeah i was daunted (laughs) by the amount of information on this band yeah well you don't have to like it was we don't have to do the whole history of the band no i know we just have to do up to turn 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 which is their second album which is still a fair amount still a fair amount you're right. You're right. So you I can even skip the first album if you want. I basically did. We don't want to talk about Mr. Mr. Tambourine Man. I essentially Man. skipped it. Okay. I talked about the uh, the singles because Gene Clark was only there for two albums, really two albums, yeah. two and a half albums. Right. He like left them with one of the greatest songs ever written, which is uh, Eight Miles High mm. from their album Five uh, D, I believe that that was. On oh, that okay, album. that's the um, that's the movie about Eminem, right? Eight Miles High. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was the school he went to. Oh, in, yeah. in that town, eight <laughs> yeah. miles high. Yep. And and yeah, so yeah, he left them with that great song, and then uh, he moved on hmm. to Dillard and Clark to solo to, to solo album. Oh, then, okay. then later, yeah. So, but yeah, go on. Let's let's okay. hear what you let's say. What did Mary learn about the birds? I learned a lot about the birds. What did you actually? learn? I just spelled learn in my mind. L y r n. Oh right. What did Mary learn the, about the, the birds? The birds. Yeah. Um. So the birds were formed in 1964. Okay. By Roger. Bracket, no, quotations, Jim yep. McGuinn. Yeah. I like when people do that, when they're like, my name's Roger, but I'm just going to go by Jim because it's better. Well, it was a religious thing. Really? He became a member of the Subud religion, S-U-B-U-D religion. Oh. And they believed in numerology. Oh. And so his name wasn't the right series Number of numbers. Of, okay. So he chose Roger, which I guess he thought was a cooler name than Jim. And so it made his, num- his, his name add up to the proper... Are you sure? Yep. Oh, I thought, okay, because I thought it said that he went by Roger McGuinn until 1967, and then he started going by Jim. Yeah, oh, sorry, the other way around. Yeah, then he started going by Jim. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but that's why he changed it. Right, okay, so at this point, he was still Roger McGuinn. He was Roger McGuinn. Um, and also, you probably thought Roger was too square a name. True, that's that's what I figured it's it was. pretty square. It is. I know, I was like, He's who like, would go from Roger to, who would go from Jim to Roger? Yeah. Who's like, mm, my name's John, but I don't like that, so I'm going to start going by Albert. <laughs> <laughs> just call me Sydney. Just call me Clarence. <laughs> My name's Alvin now. <laughs> I'm a rock star. My name's Alvin. Well, you're forgetting what Alvin Stardust. Ha! Ha, Mary. That's not a real person. Yes, it you're is. You're thinking of Ziggy Stardust. No, Alvin Stardust was a real person. You're thinking of the novel Stardust by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I'm thinking of all those things, but also <laughs> Alvin Stardust. Um... <laughs> My name's Norman. I just wanted to do one more. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I'm sure there was a Norman. Uh, if I thought and sat and thought about it, I'm sure we came up with a Norman. Mm. But yes, those are not rock star names. Those are names of people who didn't change their name. Yes. To and uh, became accountants. To Rocky Erickson. Those are the names of people who Johnny Storm who decided to become um, functioning members of society who contributed to the running of the world as opposed to musicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as opposed to grasshoppers. Yeah. Normans and Alberts are the ants and uh Jims and uh and Jimmy's and and uh John's and, and Ringo's or the Ringo's, those are the those are the grasshoppers. Yeah. All right. Um, okay so fair enough. Fair enough, Mary. So 
The birds were formed in 1964 by Jim McGuinn, Gene Clark, and David Crosby. Mm-hmm. So they had all been folk singers in coffee houses. Well, that's an example. Gene Clark's real name was Eugene. Well, yeah, but I think Gene is like. But I think a it was normal. actually Harold Eugene Clark, and he changed oh. it. Uh, he chose a a diminution of right. his of his middle name. Anyway, um, go on. I'm sorry. Had all been folk singers in coffee houses. Just showing off the fact and that I read that ginormous birds yep. book. That I'm currently using right now as a, as a way to, uh, to keep the door open downstairs because he's going to close, so I just put that in front of it. So yeah, it's a good doorstop. Um, and had also played in collegiate folk groups. So they all had a pretty big folk background. Sure. So uh, they got together and, well, I think, I believe it was McGuinn and Clark who got together first as a duo. Okay. And then Crosby joined them later. McGuinn had like and a really like professional career, actually. He was like a, he was like an arranger and yeah. uh, accompanist for Bobby Darin mm-hmm. uh, in, in Las Vegas. So yeah, right. he was he was coming from a totally yeah. He was like a he just want to hide all that stuff though when he started a band called the Birds. Right. Yeah. You're not gonna be advertised. Yeah, I used to play with Bobby Darin. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but yeah, they all they all sang and yeah. So they started a band called the Jet Sets. It's a good name. Hmm, it's pretty good. Just the Jet Set though. Oh, the Jet Set. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was the Jet Sets. No. Oh, okay, the Jet Set is a pretty good. You know, rhyming. Because Roger McGuinn uh, loved uh, airplanes. Yes. Like, he loved jets and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a lot of later songs where it's just like, like, just like noise with him, like, intoning something about... He's like... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Which also, I did a lot when we watched <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. We were, like, sitting there and I, like, leaned over my boyfriend and I was like... <laughs> Fair enough. I think he liked it. That's a, that's a, that's a dad movie for it car buffs. <laughs> and it was like i could tell because he is a paramedic and i could tell he hates i mean he's been like this since before he was paramedic but he hates bad drivers i could just tell i could just feel him like getting so angry every time carol um would drive like a total dick in the in that movie just like in this in the city he just like pull like a big yui out of nowhere like without signaling or shoulder checking i I was like what are you doing don't drive like that just those days there was no one on the road so but there was often people on the road who would like have to swerve and honk at him well they just put that in the movie but the reality in in those days people like drove like dum-dums because yeah but him especially because he was a race car driver he was like i'll just drive like that on the i don't have anything to live for because my heart's broken it's like watching brad pitt drive around and once upon a time and dot 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 hollywood yeah or um i mean once upon a time dot 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 in hollywood or dr strange in the dr strange movie well that guy was a jerk although that one had a comeuppance yeah because he drove off a cliff spoiler alert for the (laughs) uh inciting incident in dr strange (laughs) spoiler alert Get to see his hands crushed by a steering wheel. Do you see that? Spoilers! Yes, I did. Oh. No, I meant, do you see that in the movie? I don't remember seeing oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Crunch. Because yeah. then it's like showing you like, look, his hands, that he's a surgeon. Now his hands are being damaged. I know, because then he's like, he's like all sad. And he's like, I can't do stuff anymore. And I was like, can't you just, couldn't you just like do other things that are like doctor related though? Yeah. No, I can't be an he's internist. Like, I, he's like, I can't be the best doctor ever. So why try? No one's going to listen to my playlist selections now. <laughs> He was like, yeah, but you were like a big time jerk, though. He was like, he would like look at people. He was like, no, I don't like that guy. I'm not gonna save his life. Like, okay, <laughs> all right, God. <laughs> really? He's like, oh, do we really want to give this guy superpowers? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I didn't do the. I didn't do the oath. Yeah, you're like sweet. <laughs> fun being alone forever anyway um so the the birds, or at this point, they were the jet set. Yeah, were big fan of the Beatles. They loved the Beatles. Yeah, they did love the Beatles. They sure did, which is why they changed their name eventually. 
but the good thing is the Beatles also love the birds. Yeah, that's true. It's a mutual appreciation yeah. society. Um, so Crosby introduced the group to his friend Jim Dixon. Okay. Uh, he started managing the group. He had some some industry ins. Yes. Um, so he got them an acetate of the then unreleased Bob Dylan song, Mr. Tambourine Man. He also got them what's really important is like a bunch of rehearsal time in a studio, World yeah. Pacific Studios. Yes. And they just spent like months mm-hmm. uh, woodshedding in there, like just becoming a band. Mm-hmm. He also brought Chris Hillman into the band. Okay. So Chris Hillman was a country slash bluegrass m- musician yeah. at the time. Um, so th- And he was also a mandolin player yep but they brought him in as the bassist yep um so the group signed to columbia changed their name to the birds spelled with a y because they wanted to be like the beatles who were an animal but they spelled their name a little bit wrong yeah but then they also wanted to have something to do with flying i see because roger mcguinn because roger slash jim mcguinn because he really liked flying, because <laughs> he was a big, big old nerd. Um, so then they released. Yeah. Uh, okay, so pretty quickly they signed to Columbia, changed their name, released Mr. Tambourine Man, created the genre of folk rock. Yep, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, um, and pretty seminal band. Yeah, totally. So their first single sold really well, reached number one in the U.S. N- and none the of them UK. played on it except for Jim McGuinn. Yes, Jim McGuinn was the only person who played on it. Um, Rest was the Wrecking Crew. <laughs> so then they're. Their second single did not do as well. What was their second single? I, oh, uh, All I Really Want to Do. Oh, another Bob Dylan song. So, yeah. So, Col- like, we already had to do a Bob Dylan song. Exactly. That's what they said. And Col- Columbia was like, you have to do another one. And I think that's why they, they tried to do It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. But I didn't release so. it. Yes. Because they instead they released a, a, another cover, but from a different, like, turn, turn, turn mm. for their, their next single. And that was, like, a huge hit as well. Is Turn, Turn, Turn a cover, though? Or yeah. is it... Yeah. I thought it was okay. It's a cover of a song that was done by the by um Pete Seeger. Mhm. I think mm. I think in like the whatever his band was called. Oh, okay, yeah, cuz Pete Seeger wrote it. But I didn't realize that he Well, had... he adapted it from from the Ecclesiastes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I didn't realize that he had performed it as well. Mm-hmm. I, okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't but the Bruce version is once again. It's just one of those things where they take took the it's, song. They like adapted it. Oh, and it's so much better. Their version yeah. is so much more amazingly. Which is again what they did with um with Mr. Tambourine Man, yeah. right? Like they don't, yeah. they didn't take it and then they like slavishly copy it. Yeah, no, or they like created their own version of it. Like what, um, you know, not not that there's anything wrong with this, but what B.J. Thomas did with um, with the songs that he was covering, yeah, right, where yeah. he gets the lyrics and the score sheet from the composer and then yeah. he does that. That's right, and then puts it out. That's a faithful which, version of which it, which yeah. is fine yep. because that's what he was there to do, sure. right? But the birds took Bob Dylan's version of it yeah. which he had not done anything with they added their and own they, guitar riff and to they, it yeah they did their own stuff they made it their own song they that as great opposed bass to, part to it yeah as opposed to just just a cover of yeah. a bob dylan song or at least terry melcher did all this stuff yeah um so the producer. yeah columbia the son of doris day oh really yeah oh i did not know that yeah. interesting um so yeah columbia really wanted them to do another dylan song because they were sure that it would be just as successful. <laughs> of course. They were like, because if you do the same thing over and over again, that's exactly, exactly. what people that's want. That's what people love. Yeah. Just look at the Beatles. <laughs> Stagnant. That's how I would describe the Beatles. They just did the same thing forever and people loved them for it. Um, so they were, yeah, so Columbia was sure that if they did another Dylan cover, yeah. exactly the same as their first one, you know, keep doing that folk rock thing, keep doing that Dylan cover. Yeah. It's going to do great. Um, so they did because okay. Columbia wanted them to. Yeah. But Cher 
put out um, a cover of it as well. Oh, I really like, want to do, yeah, yeah. So yeah, put out a cover of well, it. Well, they, really they heard to. that the birds were going to do it. So they yeah. they did that classic thing, which is to rush rush release your version to get yes. it out ahead of this. So they group. actually, uh, Columbia also rush released the birds version of it. Yeah. Which it was probably to the detriment of their version. Yeah. I'm sure that they would have liked to have more time working on it, sure. right? It's not a great song anyway. It's not a great Bob Dylan song. Mm, like, Mr. Yeah. Tambourine Man is a great Bob Dylan song. Mm. And you can see, like, even though they cut out a lot of the verses and stuff and, you know, shorten the song, it's still, like, a great song and a great version of the song. But all I really want to do is just kind of like a, a kind of a silly joke song. Right. Like, yeah. There's no It's All Over Now, Baby mm-hmm. Blue, which is, like, one of his greatest songs. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. So, Cher's version was a lot more successful. Um, and, yeah, that was unfortunate. So... Uh, they really wanted to have well the birds and Columbia yeah. really. And wanted by the way, them. it wasn't just the birds and share like the 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 turtles put out their own. Oh version yeah, there was of like a, a bunch. There was like I think Bob it was like Dylan five song. versions yeah, of yeah. it that came out like within yeah. that like year. Like, but it was it was really shares that they were competing with because mm-hmm. that was the one that they viewed as like their high their biggest competition. Yeah, she's um, probably, and she's probably doing it with the same group of musicians because yeah, she would have used the Wrecking probably. Crew as well. Yeah. So it was just the same guys playing on both versions. <laughs> They're like, okay, do it here, yeah. but do it a bit different. Do it a little like, bit different. Okay. Play the drums. All right, all right, Hal, you play it a little <laughs> bit different. Carol, do a little from a different bass part. <laughs> um. So yeah. So they for their next single, they wanted to. Do something different. Yeah. Right? So they really liked uh, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, but they also wanted to do something different. Yeah. And they also really wanted a hit. Right? Columbia really wanted them to those have are, a hit. Those are all important things. When yeah. You're, especially so, your, second, your second album. You need. Oh, for sure. So yeah. So they released Turn, Turn, Turn. Great song. To Every Season. Brackets. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and that was the next signal, sig- single. Yeah. Um, and then they also released the album, Turn, Turn, Turn. Yeah. Which included the song Set You Free This Time. Mm. which is a very good album yeah i believe and set you free this time was also released as a single did not do as well no it did not and there's a few reasons for that which we'll talk about oh great Um, i'd like to hear that yeah so it's a mystery to me because it's such a great song it is it is a very good song so uh this song was written by gene clark yeah which is great he wrote some songs on the first album as well yeah he wrote it and he wrote the song in a few hours in fact he had the b-side on the mr tambourine Oh, single, he? which made the rest of the band very upset when he pulled up one day driving a really fancy sports car. I'm going to talk about that too. <laughs> um, so he wrote this song. Um, so they were in London on their 1965 tour of England. Yeah. Um, and they went out drinking with Paul McCartney. And At the Bag of Nails? I don't think so. Okay. Somewhere else. Somewhere in London. Okay. Some fancy place. I see. Um, the speakeasy? I don't know. I can't remember. Huh. It was... I, I didn't write it down. It might have been the bag of nails. <laughs> anyway, um, so Clark came home to his hotel, yeah. and he just, like, wrote this song. Wow. Just, like, in a couple hours, wrote it. Um, and Amazing. Yeah, so this song le- has been compared to Bob Dylan lyrically. Mm-hmm. People have said that it has that same sort of um, style. Yeah, it's a bit, however, more, a bit more melodic. Yeah, however, the release of the single was complicated. Because okay. it was released with the B-side, It Won't Be Wrong. Oh, and that's a, another great song. Yes. Yeah, so here's the issue. So they sort of flipping Ooh. it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they released the single and it had right. poor record sales. Mm. So it peaked at, at number 40. Okay. And they were like, it's not going anywhere. And then some some reviews came out that were like, the single's pretty good, but the B-side is way better. Yeah. And so they freaked out and they re-released it uh, with it flips. They re-released it with It Won't Be Wrong as the A-side. Mm-hmm. And um, what's this? What's the name of the song we're talking about? 
Set You Free This Time. And Set You Free This Time is the B-side. Yeah. So that was super confusing to all these DJs because they didn't know what they were supposed to be promoting. Ah, uh, yeah. And so both... Um, so both releases yeah. suffered, uh, right? Because you have the same thing yeah. out on the markets at the same time. Should have done it as a double A side. Yeah, they should have. That would make much more sense. Yeah. And I think that was, it was also, so that was, uh, yeah. So you had one album that was, um, it won't be wrong. Yeah. As like one single. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, as the B side and then another one with it as the A side. Yeah. And then they had, it's like set you free this time. As the A side on one and the B side on the other. And it's like, you're not getting anything different. Mm -hmm. And like, you're not going to buy both of them. Right. So it's obviously not going to do as well as any other single. Yeah. Right. Like if you're going out and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to buy a couple singles. You're not going to buy, you you would buy Mr. Tambourine Man and Set You Free This Time and maybe also Turn, Turn, Turn. But you're not going to buy Turn, Turn, or Set You Free This Time and it won't be wrong because you're getting the same... Yeah, music yeah. on both, right? It's just like a big waste of money because yeah. you're putting something out there that's already out there. Yeah, it's like releasing the whole album turn, 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 but with the the music in a different order. Yeah, like people aren't gonna go out and buy it because they're like, well, we have these songs already. Um, so, and then yeah, this period of the band was also kind of difficult. So there's some there's some strife going on. Um, so McGuinn had developed a close relationship with producer Terry Melcher. Okay. Um, and the other band members were starting to resent that. And Crosby specifically was feeling as though those two were conspiring to keep his songs off the albums. Should have written better songs. Should have written. Although he wrote It Won't Be Wrong. I think he co-wrote it with uh, Gene Clark. No. Are you sure? Yes. Oh, okay. Um. So, oh yeah. So hmm. Crosby felt like McGuinn, Melcher, and then he also felt like Dixon was starting to conspire conspire against him too. Yeah. Even though he had, what, I mean, it was, this was probably, he had brought Dixon into the band, right? Like he had introduced um, him to the other band members. And so I think he was probably starting to feel like, he's my guy, <laughs> but you, he, he's like representing all of us. And yeah. like, that's not fair anymore. Yeah. So um, the there was actually, the BBC had wanted them to make a short promotional video. But while they were on set, uh, Crosby got into a fist fight with Dixon. And so it, they like, the thing was never released uh. because they just like ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was pretty difficult too. Um, <laughs> Clark was making more money because he was the principal songwriter and that yeah. wasn't sitting well with people. Yeah. Uh, Dixon and Meltzer were having a power struggle over who was going to, who was producing the band Okay. because Dixon was their manager, but wanted to be producing. Uh. And Terry Meltzer was producing and he was happy doing that. And yeah. he didn't want Dixon coming in and taking his job. Yeah. And then I think that this, like, m mix up with um, this single where you're not making as much money because two of them are released. And then also Clark had written the one side and Crosby had written the other side. And then they were flipped and there was, like, all this stuff going on with it. Like, I... And then pressure from Columbia because their albums, their, the album wasn't selling as well. Because hmm. Turn, Turn, Turn as an album was not as well acclaimed well, as... That's that goes mr tambourine man yeah that's how it goes though and yeah well the, the yeah. first one was like new and no one had ever heard it before yeah. so everyone was interested in it the oh, second totally. one is the the same again yeah and a lot of people have said like uh that in retrospect turn 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 is not a bad album yeah it's just that mr tambourine man was so great yeah that it's hard to follow it up sure right um and um and i mean okay also about set you free this time and it won't be wrong. I love Set You Free This Time. Yeah. 
I can also understand it not selling very well as a single. Mm-hmm. I can also understand them wanting Set You Free, or wanting It Won't Be Wrong to be an A-side. Yeah. Because it does sound more like an A-side. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And um, Set You Free this time does sound more like a B-side. Hmm. In my opinion. Yeah. Just yeah. it's more of an album track, I guess, but it's yeah. one I it's a song I love very much. But, um, yeah. set you free this time. Yeah, yeah. I just I like I think it's a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it if it can carry a single. Yeah. Singles are usually a bit poppier, yeah, and it's, it's not, not a very poppy yeah, song. Yeah, it's not a very right? poppy song. Yeah. Like it is very good lyrically. Mm-hmm. It's a really fantastic song. Yeah, but it's a little ahead of its time. It, yeah, maybe in the early seventies, it would have been. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of introspection was what everyone yeah, wanted. You know, for sure. But yeah, so it's unfortunate because it is a really good song, but mm-hmm. it was sort of tainted just because of all this all this drama that was going on yeah 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 so all unfortunate it is but it's a fantastic song and it's a uh turn 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 is a very good album it is yeah i agree and i think it was re-released in 1996 with um with their cover of it's all over now baby blue included yep, on, on the it cd yeah, which I, have, is very good. I have that cd yes because that's just the addition of a fantastic song to a fantastic album. It's like, hey. <laughs> it's just yeah. there. There's some bonus tracks on it. Yeah. yeah. That's one of them. Yeah. yeah. I think there was I like think there's two versions of it on there. Oh, was there? And there's like an instrumental version of a song called Stranger in a Strange Land that was never completed. Oh, okay. And some other things. Yeah, it's quite interesting. There's right. some good, good stuff on there. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much information on the birds. But the birds were really, to be, to be the thing is the birds suffered from diminu- diminishing sales their right. entire career. Like the next album, 5D, even though it had... Eight Miles High, which was a very, which would, could have been a big song, but because it got uh, t- tagged as a drug song, which it wasn't, Eight Miles High referred to the fact that they were flying in a plane going to England. Mm-hmm. McGuinn. <laughs> it was he actually loves planes. It was actually well, it's actually called Five Miles High, as written by Gene Clark. Oh, okay. But McGuinn uh, said no planes fly at eight miles high. <laughs> Something like nerd-o. that. Something like that. That's like. But anyway, that's like. Uh, Duncan's little brother John loves trains. Yeah, he's twenty four. Okay, he loves trains. He's loved trains since he was a kid. Yeah, and his room is full of like train books and like okay. all these like trains. <laughs> and he recently cleaned his room out and like got rid of all this junk. Yeah, and I was like looking in there. I was like, still have all that train stuff, huh? <laughs> <laughs> loves trains. He loves trains. Why not? Why not? So yeah. So and then, and then they, you know, the strife continued. Of course. So Gene Clark left when they started five. When they, before they before they finished 5D, they he left them with Eight Miles High, as I said, and then left the band went went solo, and they continued on through that album. Then they did um, the next one, Younger Than Yesterday, as a as a group with a lot of like David Crosby stuff. But he was becoming like intolerable. So by the time they started doing uh, the next album after that, the Notorious Bird Brothers, they they were so sick of him. They just like both so weird because both. Uh, Jim McGuinn and mm-hmm. Chris Hillman showed up in their separate sports cars at David Crosby's Ugh. house and kicked them out of the band and then drove off in <laughs> their, their separate sports separate cars. cars again. God, what a what an I I feel like Gene Clark got out of there like at the right time. In a way, he you know his career never really was no. was never really held. But of course, he was still signed to Columbia, who were still promoting the Birds. Right. So as far as they were concerned, why would we co- promote Gene Clark, who'd left the Birds over yeah. the Birds, and so his career could never was never allowed to he could never be allowed to overshadow the birds no yeah which is very even though they were just like carrying on and but then, yeah but i mean i don't think he would have been ha- like i think yeah even though the birds were continuing to make music and yeah. be successful i don't think i think gene clark was probably happier on his own than oh, he would yeah. have been yeah if he'd sure. stayed with the birds because he yeah. was really miserable there because crosby was <laughs> like a to- like a big time tool yeah and yeah. gene clark was probably 
a pretty sensitive guy. Yes. And as we know about big jerks is they can smell that. (laughs) And I, I'm sure that he didn't let Gene Clark have an easy time. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, Also the 1996 um, reissue bonus tracks um, had one version of it's all over now, baby blue and two versions of she don't care about time by Gene Clark. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So they also had the day walk Mm. bracket never before by Gene Clark. Yeah. The times they are changing. Um, The Dylan song. Yeah. Which they didn't need to do. <laughs> they have to cover a bunch of Dylan songs. Yeah. They're the birds. Um, the World Turns All Around Her by Gene Clark. The great Gene Clark song. And Stranger in a Strange Land by David Crosby. Mm. With no lyrics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an instru- instrumental. Yeah. And then also the she don't or the uh, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and the two versions of She Don't Care About Time. And maybe that's an example where David Crosby felt neglected that his song, Stranger in a Strange Land, did not... And the, oh, the reason that... Oh, yeah. The reason that um, Jim McGuinn and... Um, Chris Hillman kicked oh, David Crosby out of the band. I'm sorry. I was totally wrong. Oh, okay. Jim McGuinn wrote It Won't Be Wrong. I'm pretty sure it was a co-write, but okay. With Harvey Gerst. Uh, okay. I thought it was with... I thought Gene Clark had a hand in it, no. but okay. As, Maybe he like... E. Clark. E. Clark. No, it was uh, Jim McGuinn and his friend Harvey Gerst. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, I didn't think it was David Crosby. But okay, anyway, so... So yeah, so the reason they kicked David Crosby out of the band was he wanted to do this song called Triad, which was a song like extolling the virtues of having a threesome. With some chicks. Hmm. So they're like, no. <laughs> no, we're not doing that song, David. And I'm sure he argued blue until he's blue <laughs> well, in the face. Well, yeah, of course he did. And so then Jefferson Airplane covered it uh, a little later. But anyway. David Crosby great is song such a jock. Clark. He is, yes. He's like a jock who doesn't play sports, and I love it. It's yeah. so funny. Um, okay, let's... Is this, you, I feel like you don't think about musical creative types yeah, yeah. in that way. No, know? but you should. But yeah, you because should, those are the ones who are successful. Yeah, that's like why all the Eagles are such a holes because <laughs> they were all that. They were all that type. Yeah. All of them were that type. It's like a band of that type. Yeah, because those are the people who are most able to sort of like force their way yeah, yeah. into like making money in their life, yeah. like elbowing people and <laughs> elbowing invisible people. They're like, make me, I gotta make money. You know, <laughs> hey, out of my way. I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, the I can't remember, uh, was it. Bernie Ledden, one of the one of the guys, Jim Felder, one of the guys, I think Felder, like he had a song. And he tried mm-hmm. to sing it a couple times, and it, they weren't very happy. The other, the other Eagles weren't very happy with it, so they got their manager to take him out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And when he was gone, they recorded, they recorded um, the one singer in the band, not Glenn Fry, but the other Don Henley, mm-hmm. recorded hit the vocals on it. Oh, okay. And when when Felder came back, he's like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, I, Henley recorded them for you." <laughs> And he's like, what? I was gonna. That's my song. And he's like, Henley's like, listen, you're lucky to have a voice like mine sing your song. Oh my god! So shut up. Oh my god! What a bunch of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> no. Why did he leave the band? <laughs> oh, he left the band. He did eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think he's actually there for the very end, but the band broke up. But yeah, they just kind of fell fell yeah. to pieces. Well, it's fair. I mean, I cannot imagine how a group like that could survive. Yeah. Well, without like punching bags, you know. I think they there were fist fights and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. But the reason they stick, stuck together, Mary, is because they needed all that money to buy cocaine. Oh, that's true. So if I they weren't about, together... I forgot about cocaine. There's no cocaine. <laughs> I always How forget am about, I going to have piles of cocaine in my dressing room? I always forget about cocaine when yeah. I consider, when it's I consider the major, situations It's the like major that. glue of rock bands in the 70s. <laughs> Why did Crosby, Stills, and Nash stay together for so long? And even though they're fighting all the time, cocaine. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> they needed a lot of money for cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, they'd go off and do solo albums. Mm-hmm. Then they realize, well, sure, it's great doing a solo album, but where's the cocaine? Yeah, I gotta get back together with those guys. <laughs> C- 
So we have cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, okay, I just want to say one final thing about the birds. Sure. Which is that They're... I feel like we could talk about them for a million years. Yeah. And we're not going to because this is an album or this is a podcast where we talk about many different bands, yes. not just the birds. Yeah. But I do want to say that I feel like um, Gene Clark and Terry Melcher's contribution to the band yeah. was very big, yeah. was much bigger than just this this one single. Uh-huh. You know, like they, they were... Um, instrumental. Instrument. <laughs> it's instrumental they were they were <laughs> instrumental in uh their success oh for sure you know because they they did so much of the creative putting things together yeah yeah you know and like uh yeah and they're great yeah. and them leaving i'm sure was not good at all for the band i don't know how they did after clark and melcher left uh well i mean uh, for Notorious Bird Brothers, Gary Usher was the producer, and Usher mm-hmm. was a pretty, pretty good producer at, okay. at Columbia as well. So Dixon didn't end up producing. No, he didn't. He wanted to. He really did, but he didn't. Never, he never ended up producing them, because then they they had Gary Usher for at least a couple of albums, and then they went on to um, do Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Which what did Terry Melcher do after after this? Well, he produced more. Like they were both like he and Usher and other people were like they're basically the staff producers at Columbia. Oh, okay. So yeah, there was them, like- Larry Marks. Who then left to go to A and M? But yeah, there was basically just like a few people who produced right. like everyone who went through the through the um, Columbia stables. The problem with Columbia is they really didn't have like they didn't really have like a they were a big album. They were a big company. They were like the biggest record company. Right. But a lot of that was from like having had having you know from the fifties and stuff like that. Right. Ha- having had big success mm-hmm. with like Mitch Miller sing along mm-hmm. with Mitch Miller records and things and it, and easy listening and then classical music and that's where a lot of their their popularity was so when they started moving into rock music they they were like looking for the, the big hit band right and the birds were one of them but the birds never like really were like the home run yeah that like the Beatles were say for for capital mm-hmm. or the Beach Boys were for capital mm-hmm. and so they never they you know if you like, they never think got about the, it they never got their Elvis they never got their Elvis. Like, they had a lot of good bands before them. They had Santana. They had the yeah. Birds. But yeah, they just never had like that band with like the long career with a super, super big, you know. Right. And so there was a lot of like throwing stuff against the wall to see what would stick, mm-hmm. which was like a big part of the 60s uh, record company practice. Oh, yeah. I bet. Because they had no idea what was going well, on. Well, I mean, when everything was happened. changing so much, Well, exactly right. right. Like, yeah. Like I went yeah. from having A&R guys who were like giving bands material that they would perform to suddenly mm-hmm. like bands are writing their own material and yeah. like we don't know what's going on and they didn't know what was popular like yeah you know like everyone's talking about the mothers of invention or the mothers frank Zappa and the mothers like i guess we'll sign them and see what happens like yeah. I, I don't know mm-hmm. the velvet underground okay right you know like all these bands that like like in modern times probably wouldn't have wouldn't be signed mm-hmm. to like a major label but the major labels didn't know what to do yeah they didn't know what was... no they were like i like people like this i guess like can <laughs> yeah. we make money on it we don't yeah. know how how to do that or what yeah. we're doing or yeah and like by the time you get to like the 80s and 90s and the idea then was that oh we know exactly what people want because right. now we've done surveys we've done mm-hmm. we've you know we've we've listened to our 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 listenership and we know exactly what people are looking for like we can figure out exactly what bands are going to be big hits right. and we also know how to massage radio play to get mm-hmm. get cocaine we know how to massage radio play <laughs> to get our records played and, and how to get a hit single and stuff like that and so you know that it changed by that point but the 60s was just like yeah everyone was just like bailing their, their sinking robot out as fast <laughs> yeah. as they could so they didn't know what to do you know so you end up with bands like like the birds on Columbia, but also the 
the United States of America. Right. The Kaleidoscope. These bands are just crazy bands. Mm -hmm. And they're just, they're the equal to them in their own mind as the birds. Yeah. You know, and. Because they're like, maybe this. Yeah, but if you listen to it, you're just like, who thought this was. (laughs) I mean, it's great. Yeah. But in no way would you listen to it and go, oh, this is a commercial smash. Yeah. No, it's just weirdos. These Mm -hmm. are weirdos. But I mean, the other thing is. The people who were running these record companies were probably like old men. Yeah, they were. Who were like, it all sounds the same. Yeah, they're yeah. like on their, they're like got their cigars in their mouths. They're like kids. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is like the beginning of like young people music. Yeah, yeah. Them and their guitars. And they, they, and then there were like some younger people that gave the illusion that they, they knew were, what was going on. They knew on. what was going on, but they didn't know either. They <laughs> no. had no idea. Of course, no one did. You know, yeah. Let's sign Lori Nero, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> People say she's good. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Sure. Because again, we could talk about the birds forever, but let's not. Yeah, we could. You know what, Dad? If you wanted to talk about the birds forever, you could have put a song of theirs on. <laughs> but you didn't. But because I, I figure like everyone knows who the birds are. I don't are. think everyone knows who the birds are. But they have some great songs. They do. All the way, all the way to the end of their uh, end of their careers, like even Bird Maniacs. Has some great uh, Gene Clark stuff on it because he did return a couple times to the birds. Mm, good. He returned for two weeks after his uh, first solo album was a bit of a flop. And he was like, he was like, "Hey guys, I'm back." And then he, he was like, "Oh, I forgot about David Crosby." <laughs> he was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll see you guys." <laughs> like, I forgot what this was like. Everyone <laughs> mad at each other and throwing things. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, you got in another fist fight with Dixon while we're trying to make this promotional movie that the BBC is <laughs> paying for us to make." Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> But don't forget, David Crosby also had a, a suede cape made while he was in England that he insisted on wearing oh, yeah. for the next three years. I forgot. Yeah, it's, it was green. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was reading about that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I, Dad, yeah. I want a suede cape. <laughs> sure, Mary. Okay, so the next song. Your birthday's coming up. It's Well, it's not really. But it's long enough away that I can look into getting a suede eight, cape made My birthday's you. eight months away. That's a perfect amount of time okay. for suede cape manufacturing. All right. Okay, so our next song yes. is... If You Believe in Christmas Trees uh-huh. by Cardinal. We've done this song before. From their eponymous album, yes. Cardinal, from 1994. It's a good album. Let's hear this song. I love this song so much. Yeah, let's hear it. Here we go, everyone. Listen to the sound That makes the world go round My feet won't touch the ground in the world that let me down My ship was sinking down I wish I could cast a spell on you To see how it feels inside You picked me
So that was If You Believe in Christmas Trees by Cardinal. Yeah. So I believe we heard that song before. Yeah. Mine was a side opener. Or oh. Even, even maybe, a, maybe even a mix opener. Oh, wow. I think it was a side opener, though. But yeah, it was a... Yeah. I think this, to me, this song is like an opening song. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Why. It's kind of slow and weird, but... Well, that's how I feel about Black Cat by Boy, and you say it's slow, and you said that you were like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that song as an opener. But... And I, I don't feel know. I feel it's a slow grower. I don't know about um, if you believe in Christmas trees as an opener. So, so you know. Get on my page. Anyway, um, so Cardinal was a collaboration between Eric Matthews and Richard Davies. Yes. I don't believe we've had any Eric Matthews yet. Don't think so. Other than Cardinal. Um, but yeah, Richard Davies is an American-Australian musician. So he was in a band called The Moles, mm-hmm. which I don't know anything about. Um, and he's also had, he had another collaboration project with... Um, the frontman for Guided by Voices. Oh, Robert Pollard? Yes, Robert Pollard. Um, so, yeah, Cl- uh, Cardinal was the beginning of Eric Matthews' music career. So they both lived in Boston, and they met there. Uh-huh. Uh, Davies wrote the songs, and Matthews arranged the songs and was a multi-instrumentalist. He's a, yes, he has a trumpet player, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys, kind of like Chris Dedrick from The Free Design. Right. Where all the songs... F- predominantly feature trumpet for no other reason than the, 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 that he was good the ranger plays trumpet. the trumpet yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so cardinal was not super commercially successful but it was seen as a pivotal band of the 1990s mm, mm. yes they're very very good yeah i do like that album a lot it's it, very good. yes and the song is fantastic and they did come together and do another album later on an album called yeah. the hymns i think in 2012 oh okay yeah cool good for them yeah yeah is it good it's it's okay. I feel like... It's no Cardinal 1994. It's no Cardinal 1994. And I feel like both 
Davies not so much, but I feel like Eric Matthews kind of gave up on the idea of like melody at some point in his 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 musical mm, career. Yeah, and became much his songs became more about texture and things yeah. like that. And he's also a real crank. Is he? Yeah, I don't follow oh. him, but your mom follows him on, on Facebook. Oh, okay. when he's allowed on Facebook, because he's become like a Trumpist. Oh, and so and he likes to like r- loudly put his uh, opinions out there. Right. Controversially. Do you think opinions out there? He likes Trump because he also plays trumpet, <laughs> and they sound the same. <laughs> trumpet and Trump. Uh huh. He got mixed up. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, this guy must love the trumpet. Yeah, he I was love like, the trumpet. He was like, going to back he Trump. Was, he was like going to vote, and he was yeah. like, trumpet check. And then he was like, oh, and then he like read these guys' policies, and he was like, oh my god. He's like, you know what? I'm already in. Yeah. Like I'll just go for it. I gotta go. Well, I was talking about this a little while ago, which is that you start off, which and is you... the, that's the only way that someone could be a fan of Trump. Well, no, I just oh. feel like a lot of people, like a lot of celebrities, they'll say like something controversial because they believe it, right? But it's not like crazily controversial. But they say right. something a little controversial, and they'll get a bit of they'll get a bit of pushback. But they also get like a lot of compliments. Oh, yeah. From people who feel like they're not people being... who are like, oh, you're so brave to say that. Yeah, you're not. You're not. You're talking for the people who don't have a voice here. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm a I'm a guy who's talking for people who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon you're like saying crazier and crazier things because right. you're getting into this echo chamber of mm-hmm. everyone like giving you all this great feedback. Yeah. And then you just and then like, you can just like block anyone on Twitter who's like these things are not super accurate. Yeah, or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, you just and then, yeah, yeah, you end up in the situation where you're just like surrounded by people who are yesing yeah. you. And then also you've gone this far and you can't back down. Yeah, because you've made these crazy opinions, mm-hmm. no one. And so you can't like say, you can't well, be seen as wishy-washy. At second thought, I don't know what I was talking about. This is crazy. What a yeah. dumb thing to what a dumb thing to say. And you can't, but you can't say that. You've already like yeah. committed yourself. You're like so. you're like sitting there on Alex Jones's podcast, and you're like, "Well, I guess I'm here." <laughs> you're like, "Yeah, no, you're right." The yeah. Sandy Let's sell Hook some more was of your sweat water. Sandy Hook was fake, I yeah. guess. They yeah. were all just actors. You're like, I think he has made that opinion. He has, yeah. He's like, no, no, I mean Eric Matthews as well. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I was just joking. I didn't know he was like an Infowars guy. <laughs> 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 I was listening to there was a really good episode of This American Life. Okay. That was interviewing one of the parents whose six-year-old was murdered in, in the Sandy Hook okay. thing and yeah. he was like talking with this person cuz he's like basically like started like hacking all of these infowars people okay. to like take down their websites that are Oh, I see. um saying that like all these people were just like actors and these kids didn't actually die and stuff. Hmm. And so they had like this really interesting This American Life episode that was interviewing him. And that was the first time I'd heard about Infowars. Okay. And so it was like a, you know, um, This American Life usually does like multi-part episodes or whatever, where they have like a general theme for an episode. And then they have like two or three stories about it. Okay. So I think that's when they just had the two stories. But the first one was about that. And then the second one was looking at like Alex Jones mm. and his whole situation. And I yeah. was like, what? But he also feels like a guy who's talked himself into this situation yeah. as oh, well. Totally. Well, cause I think that he, he did not start out. No, he started off like as like that. a journalist with you fairly kind of countercultural views. Yeah. You know, really kind of had a real problem with authority, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like growing to crazy, yeah. crazy proportions. But yeah. He's like, well, I'm making money. Yep. People like what I'm On saying. My sweat water. My, is that a thing? Yeah, he sells like all this special like restorative water and stuff, but no. it's just it's just like nothing. It's just well, wa- yeah. basically it's just like water. Of course it is. Ugh. But he sells it all. That's bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't have anything else to say about Cardinal. No, it's fine. It's a good song. Yeah. Move on. Okay. Next song yep. is called Daphne. Okay. And it is by Leah Isis. All right. From her 2011 album Grown Unknown. 
Okay, let me just say before we listen to this, this was a song that I did not know before I listened to Mary's Mix. Oh, really? Yeah, I did not know this person at all. Oh, interesting. So it was good. That's funny, because I thought I heard the song from you. Nope. Hmm, I wonder how I heard the song. <laughs> I don't know, but let's listen to it. Okay, let's, let's hear let it. Let's let other people hear it.
Okay, so that was Daphne by Leah Isis. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, a beautiful song. Yes, it is. I like it. Uh, I like the orchestrations. And yeah, everything. it's well arranged. And... It is. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and like I said, I'd never heard it before, so I was I was happy that uh, I'd be put one song on that I I didn't know. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know the song. I'd be put it... one song on that wasn't on someone else's mixtape that we'll have to listen to again. That in a little while. is not <laughs> what my intention was. I know, I understood. I don't know how I got this song then because it is on my phone, huh. and all the songs on my iTunes are from your iTunes. Oh, it's not on my iTunes though. I don't think I'd have to look on my laptop though to make sure. I'm, yeah, I'm rebuilding my iTunes on my other computer. So I don't know. I wonder if it was from an uncut or something. Nah, it could be. Anyway, anyway, um, so Leah Isis is pretty young. Okay, you know she um, she comes from a very arts. She had a very arts based family and an arts based childhood. So her mother is a photographer and a bookbinder. Hmm. Um, she started playing piano at age five, and her father encouraged her to start writing music as a child. Uh, her brother's also a musician and collaborates with her. Hmm. Uh, she attended an arts high school. She attended New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, and she also went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. So she studied, studied theater and music. Huh. Um, so this is her second album. Uh, so it was written in Vermont, and it was recorded and mixed in New York. Um, and this song this song is a duet with uh, the Bon Iver frontman Justin Vernon. Ah. Um, and also... I don't, there's not like a lot of information about Leah Isis or about this album online, but while looking at it on Discogs, yes, that's a good place to go to as well. Um, it I it was at the bottom of the page. It's like you might also like, and on there was Fleet Foxes and Joanna Newsom. Oh, okay. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that is that's her. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. like definitely and the yeah you know the same sort of similar uh field she's playing in yeah totally yeah it was like bonnie Vare, which i was like well yeah and fleet foxes and joanna newsome and then i think one other album that i hadn't heard of there's those two joanna newsome ones that were on there huh. um cool. so yeah but i th- i think it's a really nice song yeah it's beautiful but yeah I, I don't have that much to say about it that's fine we can both agree it was nice yes so our next song is one that we have heard um before as well okay so this is yankee bayonet Ah. Bracket, I Will Be Home Soon, and Bracket, yes. by the Decemberists, from their 2006 album, The Crane Wife. All right, let's give it a listen, everyone. Let's hear this song again. Decemberist with um, a guest. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Has that singer, um, the Carbon Glacier, like, you know, uh, Laura Veers. What? Really? Yeah, she's singing. She's doing the cool lead. Oh. How'd you find that out? I read it somewhere. Oh, interesting. I couldn't see that anymore. Okay, anyway. So let's hear Yankee Man that. All right. Oh, I thought we were already listening. I thought we were just talking. To- <laughs> nope, we've not listened to it yet. But now we will okay. listen. High time tree trunk, Yankee banging at a sweetheart left.
bodies may be parted Though our skin may not touch skin Look for me with the sun-bright sparrow I will come on the breath of the wind That was Yankee Bayonet by the Decemberists. Yes. Very good song. Very good song. Um, so this is a repeat. I don't really have much to say about the song itself. Okay. Um, then don't. But I do have some things to say about the album. Oh. Did, when we talked about it before, did you talk about The Crane Wife and where that comes from? I don't remember. Sorry. Okay. That's I think okay. I did a little bit, but okay, it's, a I, folk, it's a folk story, right? Yeah, it is. So yeah, yeah I'm going to actually tell the story. Sure. Of it. So um, I... This, well, this album was voted Best Album of 2006 by an NPR poll. Ah. Um, and the album is, according to Wikipedia, the album is inspired by a Japanese folktale and centers on two song cycles, mm. The Crane Wife yeah. and The Island. Okay. So The Crane Wife, or Tsuro no Ongaeshi, is a story, it's a folktale, it's a Japanese folktale. So it's, uh, a, this is just from Wikipedia. This is the story. Um, a poor man finds an injured crane on his doorstep. Okay. Or in some versions, he finds it outside with an arrow in it. Um, he takes it inside and nurses it back to health. After he releases the crane, a woman appears at his doorstep with whom he falls in love and marries. Because they need money, his wife offers to weave wondrous clothes out of silk that they can sell at the market but only if he agrees never to watch her making them. They begin to sell them and live a comfortable life, but he soon makes her weave more and more. Oblivious to his wife's declining health, his greed increases. He eventually peeks in to see what she is doing to make the silk she weaves so desirable. He is shocked to discover that at the loom is a crane plucking feathers from her own body and weaving them into the loom. The, into the, loom. the crane, seeing him, flies away and never returns. Huh. So that the crane wife is based on that story. Yeah. Um, and then the island, the other uh, song cycle mm. that the album is based on or centered on yeah. is supposedly inspired by Shakespeare's The Tempest. So the full title of the island is The Island, colon, Come and See, slash, The Landlord's Daughter, slash, You'll Not Feel the Drowning. So reading the lyrics, when I first read through the lyrics, I was like what and then i went back and looked at the like the track listing yeah and i saw that it had those three like those three sections yeah and i was like oh this is like three different stories within a song ah uh. right so the first section come and see is the so it has a speaker compelling an unseat audience so it says you come and see this you come and see this so he's um telling so the uh, speaker is compelling this audience to go to the water and to see different features of the shore. So he's like, you know, each verse, he's like, go to the water, go see this harbor, go to the water, go see this tide, blah, blah, blah. And he like describes it. Yeah. Um, and then the next section is the speaker sees a landlord's daughter and possibly rapes and murders her. Then the next section is the speaker is talking to someone while they drown and is trying to comfort them. Um, but one thing that I thought was really interesting was like looking through these different songs, yeah. all of the songs on the album seem to be like narratives. 
Because yeah. those two are pretty narrative. Yeah. Right? Um, and Yankee Bay- Bayonet is also a pretty narrative story. Yeah. Right? It's about... It's more... It's a Civil War-based song. Yeah, it's Civil yeah. War. So, yeah, it's about someone who is dying um, in the fighting of the war and is yeah. talking about not being able to go home yeah. to see his wife. Yeah. Um, but there's other songs on the album. So there's one that's a portrayal of the 900 day siege of, of Leningrad during the second world war. There's a story about the Shanikel butchers, which was a faction of the Ulster volunteer force, a Protestant paramilitary organization that carried out a series of mur- murders in the 1970s. Okay. So it's like, there's all these different songs on this album have different narratives that are like taking place in like really like diverse places and times in history, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. It's a really cool concept for an album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, I don't really understand it when they say that the album centers on two song cycles. Yeah. Like, I don't really know what that means. That was like, I took that directly from the Wikipedia page because yeah. I didn't understand what it meant. And it seemed like that was something that they took from like an interview or something that mm. like the Decemberists said about it, yeah. maybe. But it doesn't seem to bear out in, the, in no. the album itself. No, it doesn't. Like, it makes more sense that it's like like a narrative album where each song is like a different yeah. story. Yeah. Right. For sure. But I don't know. So I thought that was pretty interesting, hmm. but I also like narrative songs. So is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You like story songs? I do. Hmm. My, problem with, my also... problem with the story song is a, I don't listen to the lyrics that closely. Okay. B. You hate Beowulf. <laughs> no. How could you hate Beowulf? What a dude. No. Oh my God. I love Beowulf. When you, uh, He's when such you, a, he's when such you get a the song, jerk. I love it. When you get the song, mm, yes. it gets kind of boring once you know the story. Hmm. It's hard for us. For me, it's hard for a story song to like outlast. If it's especially if it's like one that isn't really isn't really lyrical or melodic, it's more kind of like using this like that kind of meter of the song in order to right. create the music for it. Then I'm it really kind of loses me. Hmm, that's fair. For me, as someone who loves history and who loves stories, yeah, I love story songs because I enjoy. The idea that an artist is trying to sort of continue the art of oral storytelling yep. through music. Yeah. You know, I like that. That's good. I really like storytelling and oh. I like, I like it evolving, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, let's talk about our next song. Okay. Which is kind of an oopsie. It's kind of an oopsie? A little bit. <laughs> this is a song from... An album from 1997. Okay. Called The Lateness of the Hour. The song is called No Gnashing Teeth. Yeah. And it's by Eric Matthews. Okay. We just talked about him. <laughs> I know. I did this last time. I had the beta band and then I had Steve Mason. And you were like, Mary, Steve Mason. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I had the beta band and then I had King Biscuit time. Yeah. And you were like, Mary, both those bands are Steve Mason. And I was like, whatever. I did it again. I had Eric Matthews in here two times. I had Cardinal and Eric Matthews. Wow. So, I, I mean. Know. By my rule of not repeating artists, yes. it still falls within acceptable. Yes, because there's they're two different the things. Yeah, they're not yeah. the same. Although I didn't know it. Yeah, both times. I wish that you had Richard Davies, Cardinal, and Eric Matthews on the side. That would have been amazing. I do not know better. any Eric. He has not done any solo work. Yeah, he has. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's pretty good actually. Oh, uh, okay, I don't know any of his. So let's hear the song. Yeah, let's hear "No Gnashing Teeth." Though it's good to know you, I can see that. There's a sadness there that leaks of danger If autumn feels good, leave tomorrow Read the simple signs and live today Our lives have 
That was No Gnashing Teeth by Eric Matthews. Yeah. Um, is this, what, where does this, where does this fall? Is this the third to last song? Second to last song? Oh, I don't know. On your, on your mix? Oh, on my mix. Yeah. No. Uh, we've got three more songs. Okay. Yeah. Cause see, I have this on a mix. And you have it as the last song. It's the last song. Cause to me, this is a last song song. Okay. Like, is this, is this like a, f- let's finish this. This is a great ending. Right. You know? Yeah. That's fair. Whereas that's you're fair. like, let's finish this, this an ending. No, it's not. Let's carry on, everyone. I never stated it was the ending. It sounds like it, though. Well, that's just you. That's your perception, because you have it as an ending song. I guess so. Um, what do you want to tell us about Eric Matthews, dear? Was he in a band called Cardinal? He was. Did he he play, was in a band a, card called Cardinal with, a, with, with another, Richard Davies. Oh, okay. He's an, okay. He's an American-Australian musician. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I already talked about him a bit. Yeah. Um. So after he was not with Cardinal anymore, so yeah. he released 
He cardinal. Moved, he moved west to Portland. He released Cardinal in 1994. Yeah. Then in 1995, he released his first solo album, also with Sub Pop. Yes. Um, so that was called It's Heavy in Here. That's a great album. So that album did very well. Yeah. His next album did not do very well. I don't understand why. It's as good, if not better, than than uh, It's Heavy in Here. You know why it didn't do as well? Why? This is why. Not as good an album cover. Because mm. I basically bought It's Heavy in Here because it was called It's Heavy in Here, and yeah. it had a great album cover. I think, yeah. And I hadn't heard anything from it. I just bought it because I read about Eric Matthews. I heard that it was orc, orc pop, orchestral pop. Orc pop. Yeah. I love that. And then... And, and then I saw also, the, um, that's also Lord of the Rings pop. Yeah, that's right. And then I saw the cover and the and the title, and I was just like, "Oh man, that sounds really good." So I went and bought it, sight unheard. And then it was great. Unfortunately, the album cover for the next album isn't quite as good. No, it's not. But I think the lateness of the hour is a good um, it's okay. album. It's an okay title. title. I like it. It's an okay title. But I, I just feel like yeah, that album it's got a lot of good songs in there. Not just uh, No National Teeth. There's a lot of really good songs in there. It's too bad that. Yep. It, it wasn't as successful. Yeah, and he lost his contract with um, well, Soap Pop after that. that. Oh, I'm so, sorry. So, that's okay. So, yeah. So, The Ladies of the Hour, released two years later, 97, did not do as well. And, yeah, he lost his contract with Sub Pop, as my father said. <laughs> um, you know it all, Dad. And, yeah, so he didn't release another album after this one until eight years later. Mm. He released an album in 2005 with Empyrean. Yeah. Empyrean, yeah, six kinds of passion looking for an exit in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this song's fantastic. The album's good. It's heavy in here. The album is also very good. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's heavy in here. It has some very good songs in it, but there's some real drops. Mm, yeah. Whereas uh, this album, it's the like latest of the hours. Latest like of the pretty... hours is more. It's more like straight across, like good, 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 good songs, and then some great songs like this one. So yeah, yeah, it's too bad that it. Uh, Fell out of favor with fans that decided, you know what I'm not looking for? I'm not looking for orc pop. I'm not into that orchestral pop thing. I need more grunge. Right. Well, 90s, right? Sub pop. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he's stated with some bitterness that he feels like the label didn't know how to market him. Right. That's So that's possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Matthews is pretty interesting. Apparently, he didn't have much interest in writing music. Until he started working with Richard Davies on um, on Cardinal. Huh. He said that he became interested in writing songs because he fell so much in love with Richard's songs. Okay. That's like a direct quote from him from an interview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I read an interview with him from, I think, around the time that this, um, that the latest of the hour came out. And yeah, I mean, he seemed kind of weird. Huh. Like... He was he was talking about how he wanted his music to get like less poppy and just like more orchestral until he was basically just composing orchestras. Huh. Like he wanted to just like just keep like diving deeper and deeper into like orchestral type music until he was basically just like composing scores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is pretty interesting. But I can also see how that would be something that fans would not like yeah. you know like if you're listening to no gnashing teeth doesn't mean that you want to listen to just like a totally like orchestral piece right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's th- like i say it seems to me it feels like his later albums which i do have his later albums on uh, the ones on imperial and stuff which, which i bought in portland oh yeah strangely enough well, but um they he lives in california now is that where he lives now yeah, yeah. uh i feel like yeah, he just kind of gave up on the idea of melody and songs and, and started mm. writing more to texture and stuff, which, you know, is a is a classical music thing is to write to texture in, in your songs. Have a mo- it's sort of, you know, textual motif. But um, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not uh, not sold on it as an entertaining yeah. listening experience. But I mean, I think it is also um, important to that that he didn't start out wanting to write music, mm. right? Like he started out wanting to like arrange, yeah, and um, play a lot of instruments. Right, like for him, writing music was something that he was like, Richard Davies is really good at this and he has inspired me to do some of it. Yeah. But like he didn't have much of like his own passion to do it before then. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think potentially, um, you know, t- refer like relates to what you're talking about. There. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, but yeah, I think that song's fantastic. Sure is good. Um, so our next two songs, I actually don't have anything to say about because they're both repeats. Okay. So I think we're going to go through both of them pretty quickly. Okay. Um, but the next song or this song is Young Bride by ah, Midlake. Okay. From their 2006 album, The Trials of Van Occupanther. Yes. So, so let's, let's hear it. Let's give it a listen. Winter. Oh, the lazy 
So that was Young Bride by Midlake. We've talked about that song before. Dad talked about it. It's a very good song. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I don't have anything extra to say about it. No, it's it's a very interesting song. I just I, it's one thing that I like in music when they have they kind of uh, some of the instruments run counter to each other because mm. the song has like a weird beat to it that almost feels like it's going too fast for right. the other part of the song. Yeah, like the strings yeah are, don't really match what the drums are doing and and then the vocals don't really match what either's doing and it's yeah it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't have anything to say either. It was popular with Paul Weller. That's where I first heard it was on a, on a uh, compilation CD that was put together by Paul Weller. Of? Of the jam and Paul oh, Weller okay. solo, uh, Style Council and then Paul Weller. Oh, okay. Of solo fame. Cool. He's very Britishly famous. He's right. not North Americanly famous. Right. Um, all right. And then our next song is Hazy Jane 2 by ah. Nick Drake from his 1971 album Brighter Later. Okay. Spelled B-R-Y-T-E-R-L-A-Y-T-E-R. Nick Drake had a terrible education. Whew, sure did. Just as bad as Jim McGuinn's. <laughs> Somebody spell birds. Jim. He's like, I know exactly how fly an airplane, how high an airplane flies, but I don't know how to spell the word bird. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, let's hear Hazy Jane too.
So that was Nick Drake's Hazy Jane 2. A beautiful song. Oh, so good. Which he apparently didn't like very much. Really? Yeah, he didn't He didn't totally appreciate the all the extra musicians that his producer, Joy, Joe Boyd, brought to this album. Hmm. I think he felt it kind of overwhelmed him. Oh. And that it wasn't, it wasn't enough about him. Me, 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 he said. Right. Which is why when he did Pink Moon, his next album, he just did it by himself. Right. In the studio with bare, minimum overdubs yeah, of him on piano. Yeah, that is a very bared down album yes yeah, very spare yeah and so yeah he um didn't really appreciate it but i i love i love the presence of i think many of the artists many musicians on this song are from uh fairport convention the british folk rock act that mm-hmm. was also produced by joe boyd oh, okay and so he used some of the members another like, person who doesn't know how to spell bird who's that joe, joe boyd? boyd yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> look at all the pretty boyds <laughs> and yeah he yeah, so like Richard Thompson plays that wonderful guitar part in the oh, song. Okay. And yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very good song. It is. It's fantastic. And yeah, again, we talked about it already. We played yeah. it previously. Dad yeah. has talked about it. I'm sure we'll have other Nick Drake songs. Mm-hmm. This was sort of the song that was the entry point for me into Nick Drake. Like I remember, it would have been in 1988, maybe, maybe earlier than that, 87, 86, 87. A friend lent me um, this song on cassette on an album called Fruit Tree. Oh, okay. Which was a collection that had been put out by Island in an attempt to introduce people to Nick Drake because they really like Nick Drake. They never his albums never went out of no matter even though they didn't sell anything, his albums were never deleted from from Island's uh you know, record uh whatever you call it, from their database. Not their database, never deleted from their, their catalogue. Oh okay. they're always available for order. Right. That's and, nice. Yeah, and so so this was a compilation that came out in the in the mid '80s with uh, Fruit Tree as an attempt to like, you know, here's some music by someone you maybe don't know, which is true. I did not know who he was, but a friend lent me the CD, and I thought it was okay. Listening to it, I was a little bit, this is all right. It's kind of, he doesn't have much of a voice, and da da da. But then this song came out, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, you've won me over. You're like, I get yeah, it now. <laughs> I get it. This is fantastic. So yeah, then I turned around on the rest of the songs. It's sometimes it, it when I... you hear something that's kind of different and alien to you, it yeah. takes, it, you need that one song that kind yeah, of opens it up. Yeah, you need an entry up. point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the entry point of this song. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I know. So, our next song. Yes. I have things to say about. Okay. we've not played it before. We've not played this song before. Okay. No, we haven't. Okay. I'm pretty sure we haven't. Uh, what song is it? It's Kathleen by Samantha Crane. We have played this song before. No way! Yes. No way. Yes way. No way. Yes way. Really? Yes we have. <sighs> but I did not put this song as an ending song because I think the song as an ending song is crazy. But let's let's give it a listen, everyone. This is the final song in this mixtape. This is from Under Branch and Thorn and Tree from 2015. Yes, it's a really good song. So let's give it a listen. <laughs> What's wrong? I can't believe we heard this artist before. I did research. <laughs> That's good. <sighs> Now you wanna 
So that was uh, Kathleen by Samantha Crane. And Mary is so upset that we've I'm, played this song before. I can't. I thought we didn't. I didn't realize we had. Yeah. This is a really good song, though. It is a really so good song. I can song. see what we would have. That's why I had it on. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Samantha Crane is a Choctaw musician. She's from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Yes. Um, I was going to say, I think she's the first North American indigenous artist that we've played. Maybe. Probably. Probably. I mean, the, there's not a ton of them. No. Um, so, uh, Samantha Crane taught herself to play guitar and began writing songs based on short stories she wrote while in high school. Mm. Um. Interesting. So her, off, jumping off point. Is yeah. So her, her first album was an EP and it was, um, entirely based on stories that she had written. Okay. Um, I think it was called like short stories or something. 
Makes sense. Um, so this this album from short stories, tall tales. Yep. I just named her album for her. Yep, that's what she called it. So this album, Under Branch and Thorn and Tree, was her fourth full-length album. Wow. So she had also released an Her first thing was an EP, Mm -hmm. and she'd also released a single. Yeah. Um, It was produced by John Vanderslice at his studio, uh, Tiny Telephone, in San Francisco. Hmm. So John Vanderslice has also worked with the Mountain Goats and Spoon, and they have both also recorded at Tiny Telephone. Huh. Um, so Crane has also self-produced some of her own work, and she's also produced two albums by two other Oklahoma-based groups. Oh, which wow. I think is pretty cool. Yeah, to do. So, her. yeah, I think I thought that I think that song is very good, and yeah, this is not your usual mixtape <laughs> because this is not designed. This is not your dad's mixtape, everyone. This is not your dad's mixtape. This mixtape punches other mixtapes like <laughs> batman v superman which is not your father's superhero movie yeah um so so this is not designed like a normal mixtape you're be- damn right because yes i it ends with a hanging question mark because yes when i'm listening to this mixtape yeah. and i'm doing eight hours of laundry yeah and i get to the end of this mix yeah i don't want to feel like it's time to stop doing laundry okay i want to feel like let's hear the next song uh which is the first song in this album, which is Boy, no, Black Cat by Boy. Yeah. And um, this song goes into that song very nicely. Oh, okay. So it's a loop. It is not, <laughs> this this a... mixtape does not have a beginning point and an end point. It's oh, okay. a loop. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, Mayor. Yes. Nice sales job. Thank you. That's very good. Also, this song is fantastic, but I do understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's no, not... it's a very good song. But I just don't feel like it's like, like I like a big ender. That's yeah. why I think like no, I think, no gnashing teeth would maybe my choice. I think if I was going to have an ending song here, yeah. I would have, um, oh, I forgot what it's called. By whom? Hold on. I can't remember. Oh, it's not on this mix tape. No, it's not. It's a different song. It's okay. by that artist. She's a female artist. Okay. Um, I like her. She's got that Courtney Barnett. Oh, Courtney Barnett. Okay. What's that song that I like of hers? Uh, Out of the Woodwork. Out of the if I was going to have an um, an ending, this album song, that was going to be like, this is like a yeah. definitive end point. Yeah. It's ending here and now you can stop doing laundry yeah. because it's been an hour or whatever. Yeah. Then it would be Out of the Woodwork by Courtney Barnett, which I wanted to have on this mixtape, but I felt like it was too big. Mm. Yeah, it is a big song. I think I, I, I also have that on a mixtape. Oh, it's that's good. It's a really good song. Yeah. So I was going to say maybe we should listen to it, but let's not because we have it coming up <laughs> We later. have it coming up later on, yeah. It'll be on the show in a couple months, probably. So so there we go. Well, thank you, Mary, for bringing that mixtape. I do appreciate you stepping in while I was super busy and no. could not take time away to do any research and all the rest of no that No worries. So it's, it's enough that I have to edit the show. Yes. Uh, to add a couple of couple of hours or Oh, yeah. I understand. That's why research. I volunteered. Um, yes, I was going, I would have done, you know more I, was, I wanted to do it earlier i didn't i wanted i had hoped that it would have lined up better but whatever that's fine we did the christmas one so i didn't have to do much that's of those true. either that's so true. that was nice as well yes <laughs> i had a lazy couple of months everyone lazy couple of months that here is at the listening party the that's not true well it was we did not have a dad <laughs> for a couple of months i, I was around mm, okay you, you knew where i was yeah it's true um all right well i think we're gonna end the show all right let's end it so i will uh Tell everyone how to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. And you can do so in the following ways, everyone. Just so you know, 
I just say this off the top of the, the show. We do a television or a television. We do a podcast. Hold on. Called yes. This is the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. You said I'm just gonna say off the top of the show. Oh, sorry, off the top of this um final end of the show announcement. Oh, okay. I didn't say that we we do a podcast called Sneaky Dragon. My friend, my friend Ian Boothby and I. In case you didn't know, I'm sure a lot of listeners to this show, if not all, all, of, all of you, come from that. Uh, but it. But in case you didn't know, we that's our kind of our our a hub of of activity. So this show appears on the Sneaky Dragon website. And if you are interested in contacting us, you can go to the contact us page on the website and you will find how to you'll find how to uh, email us. Wait a second. Our Twitter There's address. A contact us page? Yeah. And also I've has, been saying all this stuff this whole time and I could have just told people to go there. And also has our also has an address if you want to mail us something, if you want to mail us a letter, which would be very nice to receive as well. But let me just go through other ways you can contact us. Because, like I said, we have a website, sneakydragon.com. You can go to the uh, show. You can go where the show has been posted, and you'll find a comment section there. And you're welcome to leave comments. We'd love to hear from everyone. And, by the way, you guys have been uh, sloughing off. So pick up your, your comment game, everyone. We need to know you're interested in this show. Otherwise, it's just depressing. It's true. <laughs> no one has commented on... The, la- the most recent episode yeah. yet. And then uh, you can also contact us uh, by uh, email, which is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. We have a Facebook page. It's called Sneaky Dragon. And we are on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. I am personally on Facebook as David uh, Dedrick, or Dave Dedrick, sorry, at Dave Dedrick. So you're also welcome to contact us. Wait, contact you're on me Facebook at David Dedrick? No, did I say Facebook? I meant Twitter. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at, at Dave Dedrick. And uh, yeah, so there you go, everyone. So that's ways you can contact us we don't have a phone number do not call us but uh we do have an address an email address mm. a place on on our website you can contact us mm-hmm. and then through various forms of social media you can also send us snail mail i guess that's what i said snail mail oh i didn't really use that snail mail yeah. i missed it sorry if you go to our contact us uh, right. section you'll find our, okay. an address there you can contact us at so there you go everyone which is my address basically right so mary yes that is the end of the show yep so we bid you all a fond farewell yes until the next bye week when you will mm. see this show Fortnite. come creeping across the horizon in the creepy I, way that we creep here at the listening party. I don't know if that's how podcasts really get posted, but like a caterpillar yes, coming over the horizon. Yeah. Munching on a leaf. Are you just thinking about that scene from James and the Giant Peach? No, I'm not. Oh. But that's a that's a that haunted me <laughs> what a, kind watched of really... that movie a lot when i was a kid because yeah. it freaked me out and i felt like the more i watched it the less it would freak me out it's just a freaky concept it's it a, is it's a kid in the middle of a peach with a bunch of insects yeah but i they also the way that it's animated is so mm. like visceral yeah yeah you know it's very textured that's true i guess that henry Selleck guy who did uh, nightmare before christmas is it yeah i think so mm. anyway that's i thought you were gonna say <laughs> nightmare on elm street <laughs> Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm sure I said that. Oh, okay. All right. No, I thought you were going to say. Oh, Nightmare you thought I was going to say Nightmare? Yeah. No, no. I was like, no. that would make sense. It would. That's also it's, visceral. You know, scary movies. <laughs> anyway, um, so bye. Bye, everyone. We were off topic a lot this week, huh? We sure were. Okay. Well, whatever. It's fine. Deal with it, folks. Okay. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>